Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Welcome back, gang, and welcome to another entry in our month-long tribute to Vincent Price, something I'm calling Master of Mayness. Master of what? Master of Mayness. <laughs> His nickname is the Master of Menace. It's, I didn't even mention it last time, but I'm thinking about doing it. <laughs> it's stupid, but I was thinking Master of Mayness. That's great. I, I like it. It's kind of better in my head. This is the first time I've said it out loud. <laughs> It was either that or Maester of Menace. And Maester, it, it sounds like a bad Peter Laurie impression. Yeah, <laughs> Maester. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, hey, I'll get right into it because we're going to be covering Vincent Price all month. And back with us today, if you recognize this voice, and you should, uh, to discuss a classic Price film and the two remakes of it, we've got J. Carlos Menjivar of the Dial F for Film podcast. Hey, everyone. Oh, wait, go ahead. I, do you no, want to I was read? just saying, how's it going? <laughs> Uh, it's it's going well. I'm super tired right now, but uh, I am very excited to talk about these uh, three movies. And it's re I haven't watched these. I've only watched the movies that we're going to talk about once, and it was years ago. So it was really nice to revisit them. And uh, you know, I like some more than others, but I think generally, I and I've never read the book. Uh, I don't know if I'm giving away the episode. Am I? Oh yeah, we're we're talking about. The, the versions of I Am Legend, yes. which are Last Man on Earth, which starred Price, The Omega Man, Charlton Heston, and I Am Legend with Will Smith. Yeah, I, I will preface all of that by saying that I've never actually, I have the book, but I've never actually read it. I've always wanted uh, to read it. So if, you know, we're talking about the movies and I don't know, I mean, I, you've read the book, I think, so you, you would help me out in that department if, you know, if some of yeah. the things that I don't like about some of these movies is from the book, that's that's why because i'm i'm familiar with the book itself except for the ending i know how it ends yeah i've i've read the book um years ago and i thought about rereading it for this episode but i'm <laughs> i'm currently rereading it uh for an episode that may not be out for months and I, it was just like too much to to bring another book into it yeah that's a big one it is. And it's going to be like my fourth or fifth time through it, too. I, I mean, I love it. I mean, sneak preview of something. That, you know, <laughs> but I've read the book. We'll go over details as we go. But uh, the book, I remember being a little bit clumsy. Like it had really great ideas. And then um, then other parts that just kind of like were, were awkward, especially and more so, I think, from a modern standpoint, some of the science in it and how it's it's explained is a little bit dated, um, right. which you can't hold against it. But I remember, I remember finding its ideas more enjoyable than the actual story itself. Even though, like the the concept, I think is terrific. Uh, but I, I, I just I felt like the act of reading it wasn't as exciting as kind of like thinking about the story and what its implications were. 
Yeah, I wonder if that's why the the movies are so different. Is it like I think maybe they like pick and choose what they like and expand on that, or just take it into different directions because of that, because of some of the flaws that you mentioned. Maybe they the filmmakers just take liberty with with the story itself. Yeah, well, for different reasons, we're gonna we'll, we'll get into these are all movies that are almost tailor made toward their stars. Like they're very star focused movies. And ah, that's true. Yes. Well, it, maybe maybe not so much in Vincent Price, but we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. So we've got a lot of movies to cover today, more than. <laughs> and knowing us, like we we will probably go on a little while. So why don't we get into it? So this episode yeah. is one of those like three and a half hour <laughs> uh, epic marathons. But yeah, I already mentioned it. We're talking about all of the adaptations of Richard Matheson's novel I Am Legend. And we'll be back in just a second to talk about the first of those. Vampires, alive among the lifeless, that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire, or staked to the ground in the light of the sun, will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day, irresistible, horrifying attackers by night, Can a zombie woman's hunger for love repopulate the earth? The Last Man on Earth is the first of the three filmed adaptations of I Am Legend, and by far the most accurate to the novel. Arriving 10 years after the publication of Richard Matheson's landmark book, the film casts Vincent Price as Robert Morgan, the titular last man in a world destroyed by a mysterious plague. Beset every night by vampiric ghouls, victims of the plague, Robert spends his days foraging for supplies and hunting down the remaining of infected. So this one, of the three, I think I saw Omega Man and I Am Legend for, first. I think I saw this after I Am Legend had come out. Um, I'm trying to remember when I first saw it, but this is the one that for a while I just had like kind of the least amount of history with. And now I've, I've seen this, I think, more by far more than either of the other ones. Uh, how about you? I mean, I know you really like this movie. When was the first yeah. time you saw this? Um, actually, I, I do remember when I watched it. And this was uh, maybe around 2007, 2008, when TCM started doing doing uh, TCM Underground, uh, which was a weekend late night double feature uh, where they showed cult uh, movies. It was when it first started, it was originally hosted by Rob Zombie for uh, like maybe like a year. Uh, and then they went hostless. Uh, and they would just show the movies. And I thought when they when when Rob Zombie wasn't doing it anymore, that they just weren't going to do TCM Underground. And I always liked TCM Underground because I there's a lot of movies, especially around that time when I was going to college and film school, that I was discovering movies. And I think without TCM Underground, I would have never discovered that I had a love for the weird and the you know B movies and genre stuff. Uh, I don't remember what the second movie on that bill was, but it was one of the. 
is it was definitely one of the first months that they were doing TCM Underground and Last Man on Earth was on there. And I like Vincent Price by that point too. So I was like, yeah, of course I'll watch it. And I I watched it then, uh, loved it and haven't watched it since. And, and, and I, I still really, really like this movie a lot. Yeah, so we might we might have seen this around the same time then because I, I didn't see it on Underground. I got the DVD, I believe. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it sometime. Anyway, I think this might be my favorite of the adaptations. Um, I said it was like the most accurate to the book. It changes some things. It, it, it comes closest to getting the story right. And it was, you know, it was written by Matheson or at least originally written by Matheson, the script was. Uh, he changed his name because he was kind of disappointed with the results of the film itself. Oh, but wow. I, I do think it's great. I, I love the opening. I love the set design, just like how cluttered and dirty everything in his apartment looks. Like yeah. not filthy, but it's just like run down and he's clearly just been putting stuff wherever there's space. I like that, like the calendar that he's written on the wall. Like it's kind of scrawled, like the fact that the year 1968 is repeated like several times like he's just like i can't believe it it's been four years or however many years it's been like it's got a really good look it, it's kind of silly some of the opening because vincent price is basically going around and like clearing up stuff or just doing stuff it, it, it's showing us what his daily routine is going to be like it's weird that he would leave some things unfinished. Like he goes to that lathe to finish making a steak and it's already done. He just runs it around like two more times and takes it off. He's like, okay, this one's undone. Like why, why wouldn't he finish that the night before? Why would he have just stopped? <laughs> like stuff like that. Or, yeah. <laughs> or that, that he lets, he lets the garlic supply get down to there's nothing in the house is, is uh, for somebody who would have been dealing with this for three years, kind of like, like okay you're just showing us this so that we get an idea what's yeah going well uh there there are some weird things in the movie that i don't because when the movie starts hasn't it been three years since the since this started right like yeah uh, the, i said i said four because it, the year yeah. is 1968 but and this came out in i think 64 but oh I, okay i yeah. think he does say in the the dialogue that it's been three years well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the shelf life of garlic is, but I was just shocked that he found garlic at the grocery store still after so many years. Yeah, it, it would not be. So <laughs> yeah. he finds garlic at the grocery store and he's like, oh, still fresh. Like, well, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> there's, yeah, three years later. And it's not garlic that's been on a vine. It's garlic that's just been in a basket in the back. It would have been like garlic lasts a long time. But it it three years it would just be a dry husk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought maybe he would be growing, you know, garlic or something, just so he always always has it. Yeah, that 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 too. Like, it, <laughs> and this one's kind of weird because this of the three of them, this is the one movie where there. Well, actually, no. I'm trying to think. Omega Man is the same way, but there's no life. Like he doesn't see anything alive. Like he sees that dog later on. And it's the first time that he's, it's the first time that he's seen anything else living. Right. Yeah. If he's not growing anything, which he certainly is not, like we don't see him grow anything. <laughs> everything he's is eating out of cans, and those cans do have a shelf life too. Like they would, he goes to the store to get food, and it's like, well, there'd be really slim pickings at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like you, you've got to have a garden. 
Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do kind of like the, the, the beginning of the movie, like the opening. I like, uh, I like that, you know, they show us his uh, daily routine and, and how, how monotonous it is and how it just, it, it seems like the whole, that whole intro to me, or at least that, that, that whole segment just seems like uh, Vincent Price, like cleaning up his yard because a lot of it is like maintenance and, oh, I got to check to make sure that this building is clear or I got to, you know, burn these bodies. And then he, I think he even says like, oh, there's a body there, but I'll do that later because I have something else to do. Um, but then like later in the movie, like way later, you still see some of those bodies, especially the ones on the, those steps, they're still there. <laughs> and I, I mean, he's one person and I'm, he has all the time in the world by this point, but a lot, I do like that beginning because a lot of it is kind of like little mundane things that he's doing. Uh, you know, he has like a collection or he, he has like a bunch of mirrors that he uses for the outside um, of the house to repel the vampires and, and then, uh, you know, the, the garlic wreaths and all that stuff. And it's just kind of, I like that kind of process of it all. I, I like the process too, but the mirrors, especially, it's been three years. He's got to have these mirrors out he's got to replace them every day and he goes out to the mirror store <laughs> and <laughs> that mirror store is completely fully stocked so you have to imagine that it's been three years he's had to find a few more stores but why would he leave them there why wouldn't he just take like fill up his station wagon it's and... pretty big <laughs> like it looks spacious <laughs> it is he he fits yeah. several bodies in there yeah. um also, when he goes to the grocery store and he gets the garlic, he puts it in the back of his station wagon. He never closes the back of the station wagon during the entire movie. He's driving with that back open. Yeah. He, just, he puts the the garlic like right there in the open back and drives off. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did I did think that maybe he had it open because he just tossed the bodies in the back. But when he once he you know dumps the bodies in the pit, he drives away and like the, yeah, he still has it has it's one of those weird ones that opens on the bottom and the top, like a hatch and he keeps them open the whole time, <laughs> which, yeah, which is a weird thing. And I, I mean, when I, I, I saw, first saw that car, I thought it was a hearse. And then I was, I was like, that's not a hearse, but it is spacious just to give you an idea how big the car is. Yeah. I, I also think that um, after three years, there's nobody else on the road. You don't have anything to worry about. Like you're just going to be like, uh, who cares about these little things but if you're putting stuff in the back that you need to get home close that door up <laughs> yeah or put it in the front seat <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs> um did you notice if you watch you can tell they flipped the film reel while price was driving uh oh really because this was filmed in rome they do as much as they can to make it look like america <laughs> i think it's still supposed to be california yeah. but it, it's rome it doesn't look like <laughs> like he's just in an american suburb and the actors yeah. certainly any of the other actors that we see in the flashbacks they're 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 clearly italian but he's in rome so i can't tell if they had an american car and they flipped it a couple times and it just didn't like weren't thinking about it but if you watch he's driving on the wrong side of the the road he's oh, driving on the wrong side of the um yeah. he, the steering wheel is on the wrong side. right yeah i did yeah i, did, I totally missed that um yeah I, okay, so we can, can we talk about like the, the actual like vampires in the movie? Yeah. Um, well, yes. Let's. <laughs> I just, cause, cause they are so different in all three of them, but in this one, 
And this movie, what, is 64, right? Yeah, yeah. This is before Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And the, the vampires in this movie act a lot, except for the speech part, limited speech. Uh, they act a lot like zombies from that movie. Um, I, I do kind of like when they're uh, like moaning his name. Uh, what's his name in this one? Uh, Robert. Oh, it's Robert Morgan. Yeah, and it was like Morgan. It's just kind of like this, like 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 old uh, Hollywood kind of like zombie, like sound. Like it's so weird. It's just like they 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 act more like zombies than they do vampires. Yet they they succumb to all the stereotypical things that we know about vampires: mirrors, garlic, and steaks. And that's kind of I feel. I don't know how much of that is in the book, um, but it, it does hinder the movie a little bit because it sticks to it so much throughout the movie. Yeah, I have to say I kind of hate how they look in this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I I kind of hate that lumbering. Their arms are just out stiff, and it looks like it looks like a parody of what old zombies used to look like, right? And this yeah. was a big influence on George Romero. This is clearly. Uh, if they hadn't called them vampires and if they hadn't used the vampire iconography, this would be widely considered to be the first zombie movie, yeah, a modern zombie movie. Um, I think a lot of fans do consider this like they know that this is kind of the, the seed of it, but um, no, Romero called them zombies instead. I, I kind of don't like them in this. Um, in the book, I, I can't remember how they act. I, I all the time i think they're a little bit more feral i don't think they're lumbering zombie like but they're more ghoulish but all that stuff like the mirrors um the garlic the steaks he uses steaks just because it it stays in the body and that otherwise they their body uh heals so quickly like the wounds close up so quickly that shooting them doesn't do anything so he gets the steak to just keep the the skin from sealing again and there's a line of dialogue in the in the movie here but in the book, there's a, uh, it goes even further to, to talk about crosses, that Christian or Catholic uh, vampires are afraid and repelled by crosses, but Jewish vampires are not. So he, so it, the book kind of links it to the psychology of what they were like when they were alive, just like whatever yeah. mythology the living person ha- had in their head. <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> it, which, that, that's yeah. one, of those, one of those things where I'm kind of like, like, eh, okay. Because a lot of the book, book is trying to make it very scientific, trying to come up with like a rational explanation for the zombie, or no, um, a rational explanation for the vampire myths, like right. why they would be acting like vampires. And a lot of them are like big stretches. <laughs> it's, it course, doesn't yeah. really hold up to scrutiny. Yeah, I do like, I like, I kind of, I, 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 I'm going to refer a lot to you for, as far as the book because I actually do really like the tone of this movie. A lot of it does feel kind of kind of grim. Uh, I think that the black and white offers a lot in that because I just, there's a lot of shots that I just see and I just, I just like what I see. And I'm already a fan of post-apocalyptic langs- landscapes. I just like seeing that. And Last Man on Earth, it's, for, for a while, it's literally just Vincent Price, you know, just wandering around these empty places and, just I I like the, the the that visual and image of just life left you know, just you know it just kind of everything just happened suddenly and it was just it, life just stopped, and uh, we get some uh, some of that in in a lot of that actually like in in in, in I Am Legend, but I, I love how it looks in this one. There's just something about the black and white that that really makes everything pop. 
I agree. I think this movie looks really good. Um, it's not convincing to me as America, but it still looks good. I think it's it's kind of a cheap. It might be the cheapest of all of these productions, but it it, it does well with what it has. I, I will say, as much as I'm a Vincent Price fan and I love him, I think he's good in this movie. I don't think this character is playing towards his strength as an actor. And it, it's something that came, comes with, you know, the decades of, of his filmography and like kind of his persona is that he is a naturally kind of a warm performer. Even when he's a villain, he's, he's kind of campy and there's something engaging about him. In this movie where he's all by himself and everything is voiceover and he's kind of an asshole to the, the person he finally does meet, it, it, it's, it's just not like... It, it, I don't know if it's if it's him to blame if he's failing as an actor. It's just not the type of performance that he's really good at or convincing at to me. Yeah, I, I think I, I like I can't pinpoint it either, but there was something about this performance that didn't feel right for Vincent Price. I was gonna say our, our last movie last week was The Abominable Dr. Fives. And that similarly is another movie where he kind of walks around and doesn't talk, but has voiceover. But there's so much more in his performance in how in like the campiness and kind of like how how grand his performance is that is still like fits into that yeah that wheelhouse. And I don't think he does a bad job in this. I don't want to Right, I, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I was carefully choosing my words because I think he's fine in this. I just don't think he's like I, I don't think this really was his best performance. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that Price is best when he's playing outlandish characters. Once you get too close to normal, he struggles there. And I think his character in this movie, he's not really like there's nothing. There's no reason for him to be wacky or campy or anything like that. And I think maybe it's difficult for him to just kind of add a camp where it doesn't exist. Whereas something like you mentioned uh Abominable, abominable Dr. Fives and like, I don't know, like Madhouse or uh, uh, House of Follow House of Usher. There's something already campy about those movies that and then those characters that when you when he comes in, it's just like he he feels I feel like at home and that, that he he knows how to find that camp and just ex exponentially make it, you know, his own and make it so good and entertaining. And then with this, it's like He's not really working off much. It's just him wandering around. And like I said, he's doing mundane things. So it's not very interesting at, at times. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I do think a lot of that might just be what we know him as. Like maybe maybe, yeah. maybe it's just our bias against it or mine anyway. Um, I don't want to speak for you. That is that is true. Because I, I was just thinking, I do like him a lot in Laura. And that movie is a film noir. And he, I think he's good in that, like really good. He is, but he's also kind of a, a warm engaging uh gadfly right right like he's he's just a yeah he, he's kind of the red herring in that right but he he is yeah you know he's still he still has people to play off of yeah and he's also not the lead so <laughs> he's great in that um he could be great dramatically uh but you're right maybe it's just the fact that he's he's not playing off of people for most of it but then it's still there in the the flashbacks too where he's a scientist, something all of the movies change. Like, so Robert Neville in the book, Robert Morgan here in this movie. Uh, in the book, he he's not a scientist. Like, he has no expertise in this. Oh, He starts kind of training himself. He, like, reads a bunch of books to, to try and understand the virus. 
but um but all of the movies make him a scientist and in this one you know it, it, there's a bunch of flashbacks to the when the plague is spreading the the origin is pretty much the same as what's in the book where it's not completely explained but it's a, a bacteria bacterial infection this one also keeps the fact that in the book he he found or he thought he was immune because he had been bitten by an infected bat at one point um, yeah <laughs> which is kind of a stretch like it is yeah <laughs> what, a, what a leap for you to make yeah um it's funny but um what was i gonna say uh we were talking about uh how he uh in what, the flashbacks where he's yeah. the scientist mm -hmm. and he's still kind of like you know he's a loving family man but he's still kind of a dick too to uh especially the guy he's working with the one who wants him dead uh, later on when he comes back as infected like all of the flashbacks where he's uh, he's basically his friend has kind of come up with this theory about it. And he's talking about vampires and Vincent Price just won't even listen to him. He's like, no, that can't be possible. Well, and but then he'll admit like we don't know anything could be possible. But he like he outright dismisses all of his friends theories the entire time until it's way too late. Yeah, I think that's maybe something that both this character, I don't remember as much with the second one. Uh, but definitely with uh, I Am Legend where they seem bent on, they're very stubborn and just bent on, they, they, they don't believe, I, I guess maybe it's a little bit different, but it's just the fact that they can't believe that something like this could happen is something that's interesting, The especially for something from the 60s, just knowing that mass destruction by this point is possible <laughs> and, and, and and i'm just talking about atomic weapons by this point not even what the movie's dealing with 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 a virus that um that has a capability of wiping society out and it does in the movie but still there's like a lot of skepticism in those movies and i think the reason why it's so weird for me it's is because of this pandemic that we've gone through because there are a lot of parallels between uh, kind of what we've been going through the last years, not to the extent of these movies, but at least some small part of it uh, in, in, in the fact that there are so many skeptics and no one is really prepared. And then here it is. And now it's taking us out. And in the movies and in the book, it's just, it, it's devastating. Um, but it almost seems, and, and, and this is not just I Am Legend or these three movies, but there is a, a in humanity we find that we're skeptical to believe that mass destruction of the human race is impossible like it, it almost like it's unfathomable like we're going to be here forever and it's like not in the direction that we're going and and, and these movies kind of show that once you know something like this happens and kind of the whole system starts to break down and and everything, and then you know, there's a domino effect that leads to what happens in these movies, and this it all starts with the skepticism of these people not working together to 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 knock this out of the park, and you know, and not be in the situation. Yeah, well, I think any movie from now on that deals with plague or disease is going to really hit differently. We're going to be yeah. really <laughs> analyzing it in a different way we than we would have like two years ago. Right. The flashbacks to pre-plague life the first one we get it's like his daughter's birthday party in the backyard and there's hints of it there are people looking at the newspaper like his friend comes up to talk to him about it and everybody else ignores it and they're having a party and price like ignores everything about it 
and he calls him foolish for worrying about it. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It, it definitely felt like more chilling than probably the first time I saw it. Cause now like we've seen the world play out like we would have in any of these pandemic movies, like outbreak or contagion or the stand even where it's just yeah. like, Oh, that's good science fiction. It's scary science fiction. And now we've all lived through that for the last year to the point mm -hmm. we're kind of like inured to it. Right. Like we're not, it's hard to stay scared the way we were in the beginning or, or concerned the way we were in the beginning, but, um, but we're still going to see this stuff in movies. And it's, I think it's always going to like trigger a different reaction than it yeah, used to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely had that while watching this Probably all of them. <laughs> the scene with the, with the child, um, this is a really heartbreaking scene with his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with his yeah. daughter. I was like, oh my God, that's that that really hit me. I was like, oh man, that was yeah, it was so like it really that was a very unexpected emotion uh that I, you know, that I didn't know I was gonna have watching this movie. And I, I don't even remember it from from the first watch of it. Well, that's what I'm saying is like so much of this stuff is just is no longer just light entertainment <laughs> that we can yeah. just like watch and forget about. Because yeah, I felt that too, watching all the stuff with the daughter and it, it like I'm sure you have a similar feeling with kids of your own mm -hmm. where it's just like the thought of like not not just the thought of you becoming infected but the thought of like your family around you becoming infected and not being able to do anything about it and like the the fear that comes with that it, it it's pretty real yeah and I mean the movie I you know it's called last man on earth and there's a lot of these type of movies where they promise you the last man on earth, you know, or person on earth. And it doesn't always deliver that you always have, especially in a movie, you always have to have at least another uh, component to it. Another human component. You can't fully be just one, you know, last person. And, and also, I mean, and they're, how far could you go to, I mean, the world is pretty big and it, how far can he travel, you know, safely uh, within the hours of the day to really know if you are the last man? So I guess, I mean, to him, he, our worlds are so relative that, you know, there, there could be something beyond our own devastation and destruction. But in, in the case of these movies, because it is so dangerous to travel uh, when it's not daytime, that it kind of, it, it's very isolating because <laughs> you're, you can't, there's certain things you can do, but you definitely can't change, you know, the night from coming. It's going to come every night. It's, it's just the way things work. That's almost like the, the unstoppable uh, force. That's the, the constant, the thing that's just continues going on. It just kind of isolates him from the, if there is anything like an outpost or anything from the rest of the world. Yeah. I kind of felt, and it's probably because of 28 days later, but watching this, I really did feel like, well, how do we know it's everywhere, right? It could just be yeah. like, the, he could be in a quarantine zone. And in fact, I, I think there's a Twilight Zone that did something a bit like that with a nuclear, yeah. like one of the 80s Twilight Zones with like a, a person locked in their, uh, their bunker thinks a, a nuclear war has destroyed the world, but it's actually just like his little town or whatever. And I did kind of like have that feeling like, well, maybe the next town over is alive. Maybe he's in the quarantine zone and he's not trying to get out and he's just going around and destroying all these, these, uh, the, the, the people that he finds the nests. And, um, 
you know, the, to, to speak about like the, the big twist in the book, which if you haven't read it, go read it. It's great. Uh, the big twist in the book is that not everybody that comes back is like a feral ghoul. Some of them are uh, rational, conscious people and they have created a new society and have medication to keep the disease in check and not let some of the more damaging side effects come about. And so they're basically like creating a new society. And the Robert Neville character, Robert Morgan here in the book, is going around and killing indiscriminately. So somebody, he's killing a lot of the feral ones, the ones that are really dangerous, but he's also just killing people. Like, yeah, people that just have a disease. Like, it's like he's going out and killing anybody that has uh, herpes or something. Yeah. <laughs> in the, the beginning of the movie, it, it does seem like it's leading up to this big revelation. And it does kind of get close to that. Actually, the movie does have that revelation where uh, the woman he meets, Ruth, turns out to be infected and they're, they're starting a new society and he's been killing. But it, it kind of pulls back a bit from quite as far as the book goes. I think in the book, he's killed her husband. Her husband is one of the people that he, he kills because the movie starts and he's like going around and he just like bursts into rooms and kills whoever's in them. And he's like waking people up like there's people sleeping and he just like stakes them in their bed. <laughs> the end of the movie here still kind of treats him as the good guy it, it more than the book does the book is he's like really a monster yeah well it, it, I, yeah i agree in the end doesn't he end up in the church too right that's where he ends up yeah yeah, yeah and he, he gets chased into the church in the movie yeah and that's where, i think that's where he he dies and it's sort of kind of like housing him in this thing that means only something to a religious person it doesn't like a, a church almost has no bearing uh, during the end of the world <laughs> like if no one can inhabit it, like, it, it it's so weird that they they sort of infuse that and 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 the thing that you mentioned in the book about the catholic and you know christian vampires uh it is interesting that both this one and omega man kind of also end in a similar sort of uh with re uh, judeo-christian uh imagery and yeah. it's so, and it's very, I feel like it's more explicit in Omega Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Th yeah, than in this one. Uh, I think it's a little more subtle. It could have just been accidental too. But uh, I, I do think that, like you said, like I, I know about the ending of the, the book. And I, I know that at least for me as well, that it, it does come close. And it's kind of frustrating because you think, it feels like it's gonna happen. Like you're like, oh, they're gonna do it. You know, it's gonna go there. It's, it, but it, but it never does. And they get so close, like so close that it's frustrating. Like they're almost there. It's on the tip of their tongue, but then the movie ends and it never fully comes out. Like the idea is just there. It's like you said, it's floating around, but it's just, they never catch it and make that, you know, the star of the show as it should be. I think the biggest difference is and what makes the, the, ending of the book like it defangs the ending of the book so to speak is that it is treated as the disease is treated as bad no matter who has it even the people that are living with it in the book there's no transfusion like he doesn't cure anybody um, it's something oh. he still thinks is possible but doesn't actually get close to so the movie the fact that he gives a transfusion and cures Ruth in the movie 
is still positioning him as the hero that can save the day, right? <laughs> Whereas in the, the book, he's not a hero. He's just, a, he's become a monster. Um, not, not in his eyes, of course, but to the new society that is forming up. He is a monster that needs to be dealt with. Um, and it also makes the survivors that are rational look really monstrous. Like the way they come and like, they look like stormtroopers coming down. Like they're, they're in these really like, like shock troopers, like the way they, they come into his house and like mm -hmm. destroy all the other ghoul vampire ghouls or whatever that are outside they're they look villainous so it, it's still right up into the end treating him as the hero of the story like the tragic hero of the story when he's not in the book and it's it's a slight change but it's so close to the book that i'm like i i'm i'm still disappointed but i, I still like this movie i still think it's good oh yeah same yeah i despite the despite you know some of the cheesy stuff within the movie the campy you know and some of the weird science choices that they make in the movie and you know knowing that it it, all, it was almost there but not really uh i still really like this movie a lot it's probably it, it might be my favorite of the three uh i'm not i'm not really sure but i think it might be the favorite of of my favorite of the three movies. Yeah, I might say the same thing. Um, I'm not, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the discussion and we'll figure it out. But mm -hmm. um, I have to say like here, I, I kind of want to go back to the ghouls, the vampires a little bit about how, how I don't like them. They're so ineffectual in this. The, there's a scene where he kind of stays out too late and it's almost sunset and he has to race home. And first of all, my first thought is, why are you going home after dark? Why don't you just hold up where you are? Nobody, none of them know where you are. You just like lock the door and stay in that yeah. room. You're going to go home and find your home's been trashed probably. A lot safer for you though. Yeah, um, and also, I mean, he does, I mean, he has that like system where he goes around checking things, but I, I mean, wouldn't like the, I don't, I, I don't know, but wouldn't the vampires move around? Isn't that a possibility? Would they hole up in, in, in just one place? That Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, it seems like they in, in, in at least in the first two um, in this and Omega Man that they know where he lives. Uh, I think, you know, and why are they so resistant to to I guess, you know, if you're built, but I feel like you have kind of unlimited resources. You maybe you might not have the the setup you currently have. And also, I don't know how how good his setup was in Last Man on Earth. You can replicate that anywhere. It doesn't, you know, you can move around and and you know find new places and you know new supplies. And but he, yeah, I, that that is a little weird. To I got to drive back where you can just you know, I don't know, just go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but then. But then he comes out and his car is surrounded and his vamp the vampires are very ineffectual because he kind of just strolls to his car and he kind of slaps them across their face. And they, they <laughs> like he doesn't really fight them. He just like slap, slap, slap <laughs> and yeah. that gets into his car. <laughs> there's also um, in this one, there's the dog in this one, which is in I Am Legend, um, kind of. It, it, it's very much like the book where he finds the dog and he befriends it. But then he, it comes to his house injured one day and he can't save it. I love the fact that he basically he stakes the dog before he buries it. And when he buries it, it's just a bundle of cloth with a big old stake sticking out of it. <laughs> yeah. And it made me it made me wonder. So in <laughs> I Am Legend, the movie, 
which we're jumping ahead to, but in I Am Legend, a movie, those dogs do become vampires. But it made me wonder, like in this movie, do dogs become vampires? Would the dog rise from the dead if he hadn't done that? And it made me laugh. And I'm not yeah, sure why. I wonder, yeah. Uh, like kind of a little pitiful little thing to see that bundle of rags with a steak sticking with out With a steak. <laughs> That's great. The movie owns, uh, opens up with the sound of an alarm clock. And it's like the the thing that gets uh, Vincent Price going <laughs> throughout the day. It's like it's like the, all right, wake up. And this is what we're going to do, which is also sort of like we wake up with Vincent Price in the movie. I kind of like that touch. It was like very small, but it was really cool. Yeah, no, there, there's some good stuff in this. What about, about the production here? This was written initially by Richard Matheson. Uh, Matheson wrote the script. At the time, he was told that Fritz Lang was going to direct it. Whoa. He, I, either he passed or it didn't work out or that was a lie because what ended up happening was uh, Cindy Salco directed it and Matheson, Richard Matheson had nothing very kind to say about that. <laughs> if you look on IMDb and Wikipedia, Ubaldo Ragona is credited as, as a co-director. He's not in any of the credits for the movie, but he's on the Italian prints. He's listed as the director. Sidney Salco isn't uh, credited at all. I was trying to, to look up, like because I listened to some of the commentary, and the commentary suggests that Ragona directed it and Salco merely cleaned it up for the American release. Interesting. I couldn't find any confirmation of that. I, yeah. I couldn't find anything on Wikipedia, IMDb, or just Googling the director and his history. So I don't know what, what happened there. Regano only directed two documentaries and one feature aside from this. So it, it seems kind of weird that he would get this movie. Yeah, because I think Salco has more credits, right? A like lot more, more credits. And yeah. he directed uh, Twice Told Tales with Vincent Price yeah. before this. Maybe Regano was just uh, to help out with the Italian film crew. Uh, maybe he was like a... a an assistant or a co-director, somebody to translate. I'm not quite sure what the what the what the deal is there, but it's interesting. He's not credited at all in the American version. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I had seen that. Like I had seen that on IMDb, and then when I watched the movie, I got Sidney Salco as the director, but no mention at all of Ubaldo. So this was a bit of a flop here in America. It was considered a bit of a cheapy, but it was marketed really badly too. It was marketed as if it was one of the gothic films that Vincent Price had been doing for AIP. Like if you look at the cover, there's that kind of like ghostly female silhouette and him yeah. just looking scared. It, it, it doesn't rec represent like what the movie itself is. I, I should have looked to see where, how this is considered by the horror community at large. I think right. it's fairly well respected. I think so too, yeah. But I, I, think, I think it, um, I mean, for 1968, there's a lot of stuff in here that I, no, 64. 64, yeah. I said 68 is when it's set. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there that does seem kind of modern. And it, it's it's an interesting kind of, it, it's an interesting film in the middle of what was going on at the time. Although, you know, it does it does share some, stu some similarities with stuff like um, The World of Flesh and the Devil. And uh, what's that Ray Milland movie? Is it, it's not Panic in Year Zero, maybe? Um, Panic in Year Zero, I think, is the the, the movie where he, yeah. he gets scared and he takes his family to the hills. I mean, it, it does. There are movies around this time that kind of are similar, but still, I think it 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 stands out certainly among Vincent Price's filmography. 
Yeah, and it, and it kind of it, it kind of sort of fits into the larger scope of like what was going on in the world. It, not not fully, I shouldn't say, because there are things that are, definitely feel old world about this movie, and but there are th- just small things here and there that do feel like oh yeah, that's totally you know from from the mid sixties and and just the the because I've seen I've seen that poster you mentioned is promoted like a movie that's much older than, you know, or, or at least something that's more traditional than normal. And I don't know, I don't know how I, I don't know, maybe the sixties, maybe some in the fifties, but when does like the post-apocalyptic uh, fic, like fiction come into play in, in uh, as far as movies go? I don't think there are very many by this point. And it's kind of like, it's still kind of like a newish thing. I feel um, that, I'm trying to think. I can't think of very many movies where that's the case, but um, I, I feel like the world is slowly starting to get cynical about what's going on in the world. It's like this might all end the way things are going right now. Yeah, well, um, I think I think there'd been a few. Like I said, World um, World the Flesh and the Devil was 1959, mm-hmm. and it can use zero and 62. Uh, there's another movie actually came out the same year, a British film, The Earth Dies Screaming, which also is kind of the the group of survivors at the end of the world i think they've been around but you're right it, it kind of like this this is part of it kind of becoming an, a, an accepted genre and especially once you get to like night of the living dead it seems to really kind of codify into the, this this kind of like survival in a post-apocalyptic plague-ridden world right yes yeah do you have anything more you wanted to say about uh, last man on earth uh no, I, I just really like this movie. Um I love Vincent Price and 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 yeah, it just this movie brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get, it. It, it, yeah. I get it. There's um there's there is something comforting even now with the world we're living in. There is <laughs> something comforting about the routine of a post-apocalyptic movie, especially the ones like we're watching now where the guy is is more or less living a comfortable life. It just, you know there's nobody around and he has to deal with these ghouls at night, but the yeah. rest of the time he's, like, he's got shelter. He's got food. Oh yeah. He's surrounded by, well, he's not really surrounded by anything in this, but in the other ones, he does surround himself by works with works of art and, you know, yeah, things yeah. to divert him. Yeah. So, uh, but speaking of that, let's go ahead and jump to the next one. We'll, we'll talk about Omega man coming up next. The last man on earth lives in a fortress what day is it anyway? Monday? The hell it is. It's Sunday. Sunday, I always dress for dinner. Discovered check. How does that grab you, Caesar? The last man on Earth always carries an automatic weapon. The last man on Earth is hunting. man on earth is not alone ah! 
Arriving only seven years after The Last Man on Earth, Charlton Heston stars as Robert Neville, the Omega Man, alone in a world destroyed by world war and bacterial warfare. Now, the general setup is much the same, so maybe we don't need to go over the plot. We can just kind of get into our discussion. Uh, I haven't seen this since I was a teenager, and I remembered liking it. I remember liking all of those late 60s, 70s uh, Charlton Heston sci-fi movies, but re-watching it this time, this was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I, 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 had, I had a tough time watching this one, and we'll get into all of that, but... Uh, what about you? You said you've only seen this like once before, I think. Yeah. By now, this has attained kind of a sort of cult classic or at least a classic status. But how yeah. did it hold up for you? It seems like maybe you might have had a more positive impression. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I The first note that I wrote about the movie, and this was probably like five minutes into the movie, was this movie is really cool. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm not like, I don't know, is this is my, this might be another one that I watched on TCM Underground too. Now that I'm thinking about it, not on the same bill as Last Man on Earth, but like on a separate one. But I just, there, I, I will admit that the movie is largely problematic, and there are things that I don't like. But overall, for a '70s movie, it delivers because uh, this movie is really '70s. Um, it's <laughs> it, it it really dates itself in in in, in that aspect. I feel, but I I like that kind of fun weird campy approach to a lot of the things and some of like the details like the vampires wearing sunglasses like i think that's really cool and and and, and just the origin of even just the origin of what leads to this world is different um and it has and it relates more to real world problems at the time with the cold war still going on uh and just it, it, this all happens because of a conflict between japan and russia and the use of uh bio uh biochemical weapons and and and, and that's what starts all of this and that's i like that because it's so i feel of the era and it just it just really fits that that's actually a detail that is somewhat from the book. The book did deal ah, with okay, with a, a war, but in the book, the war didn't have anything to do with the bacteria. It's just kind of like um, remarked that the ongoing war uh, had kind of weakened the, the infrastructure and had had helped the bacteria spread that way. And that there were just all these like horrible dust storms after the wars, and um, it, it kind of like it helped spread the disease and kind of like weaken immune systems and stuff like that. Uh, oh, interesting. So yeah. it, it wasn't bacterial warfare, but the war, the long war was part of the, the novel. As, our, as far as I recall, it, like I said, it's been years since I read yeah. it. Um, so your, your note was, this movie is cool. My note was, this music <laughs> sucks. <laughs> like, I hated the music in this movie and it is nonstop. It never fits what's going on on screen. Yeah. Like, there will be like a, a harrowing action scene where he's like trying, he's been ambushed and he's throwing bombs and he's improvising weapons and uh, trying to get away from all of the, the family that are around him, the, the infected in this, they call themselves the family. Um, and yet it's got the light, most, the most lighthearted, like boom, 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 boom. It's so <laughs> annoying to me. The entire yeah. time. Like I, I will say this movie starts really strongly. I mean, it I get does. that, that yeah. note. Because yeah. they filmed it in the financial district here in downtown LA, which is empty in, during the weekend. So they filmed it on a Sunday. They were able to kind of get most people 
out of it. In some of the long shots, you can see traffic moving in the far distance, but um, it, it, otherwise it, they did a really good job of making it look like a completely de deserted uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I really like that because it jumps right into it. Like it, it does, doesn't, and, and he's just driving him, around. Yeah, seeing him drive around is so like it, it is so cool. But the moment I realize, like, oh crap, is when he stops and he looks up and he sees a shadow moving, and so he jumps up and like grabs his machine gun and starts firing. <laughs> God, and yeah. that really awful like speed ramp where they just speed it up really yeah. fast. At whether it's because he was middle aged at the time and couldn't really like <laughs> move that fast, yeah, or they just thought it would be cool. I don't know, but it looked it yeah. looked rough. Speaking um, of which, I there is a lot of that in this movie with Charlton Heston. He loves his guns because there's times like, why are you still holding that submachine gun? You could have, you don't need it. Like you're you're like you're not using it, and you're still like clutching onto it. He's just like I feel like he was always holding like some kind of weapon. Yeah, it, 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 it was. <laughs> I was watching this and like thinking like oh yeah he he was the nra sport spokesman <laughs> yeah for so long and it was just like oh yeah from my cold dead hands <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah he was a he was a gun nut and i don't know i want i watched this and he is chewing the scenery like he in this movie like well he's doing charlton heston thing right where he's really <laughs> acting with his jaw and yeah. clenched teeth and there's something about it maybe it's just that i grew up you know he he was such a big name and like the 10 commandments and this and soil and green planet of the apes like i just grew up seeing him on talk shows doing all this stuff that i i kind of like seeing him in this movie but i don't i don't think he's doing a very good job and i i don't think gosh we're, we're gonna disagree a lot on this and i, I hope <laughs> i don't ruin this movie for you i don't want to be too harsh on it <laughs> But, no, go ahead. I mean, I know what you know. I know what kind of movie we're dealing with, and it's far from perfect. One of the first things I wrote down is like, man, this looks like like it. It's so cheap looking. Aside yeah. from like the mm -hmm. the street stuff in the beginning, um, everything is so clearly like a set. Uh, they're clearly on back lots for a lot of the outdoor scenes. Um, there's stuff up in the hills that look a little look pretty nice, but there's that scene where he first sees Lisa and he's tracing her across the street through that park. And like, well, this this is like not realistic looking. Um, the the view from outside his window of an LA skyline and it's kind of on fire, and it's clearly just like a <laughs> a, a it's just a cardboard cutout of a skyline that they put like little flames behind and it doesn't match at all. It doesn't look good. It, there's something about it like it's very flatly lit in the direction that looks like a tv movie and so when i i looked it up the director is boris seagal who worked mostly in tv like in twilight zone and albert hitchcock presents and yeah. dozens of tv movies like he just tv movies going back to the 50s like that this was his domain was was tv which really explained a lot of the look of this movie once i once I yeah that that makes a lot of sense yeah I didn't know he was from TV outside of the the two uh, Twilight Zone episodes that he directed and I think it's uh, it's taken a really long time uh, to realize uh, but I really like the zoom shot and there's a lot of zoom shots in this movie oh, now that, okay that being said there are also a lot of like really bad and awkward zoom shots that just don't work that could have just used a second take like. I feel like the zoom was sped up a little too much and it wasn't centered. But other than that, like, I, I don't know what it was. I, I think maybe 
watching so many movies recently and a lot of stuff from the 70s and seeing the zoom shot and what you know people like Altman especially can do with the zoom shot that I, I really come to appreciate it and now when I see it instead of like rolling my eyes I really do like it it's weird because it's such a, a lazy camera trick it's like I'm just gonna zoom in <laughs> yeah well there's also a lot of bad editing in this either for a stunt or they just had to retake something like it, it'll quickly jump and people will be in a slightly different position um like it i don't know it it i found so much of this movie so artless uh, it, uh yeah it really is it does feel like just like uh like it, it feels like just an exploitation movie by the end of it but not even like a good one because a good one would be a little grittier <laughs> like yeah. if it was a true exploitation film because it's certainly when we get to um to lisa rosalind cash's character yeah. who is is pretty problematically portrayed and dealt with in the, in the movie yeah. uh, as you know the um, I'm trying to think one of a couple of black characters in the film uh, yeah. she's really treated as a kind of an of the time black exploitation character I don't know her, her relationship with with Robert Neville with Charlton Heston was so awkward to me oh and yeah like a lot of his lines <laughs> and the way he talks to her was like oh that's not cool <laughs> yeah I mean, I but always, it was the 70s it was the 70s yeah like, i always felt like even before he was you know started to just kind of say whatever i always felt like oh he's gonna say something inappropriate <laughs> within the context of the movie not just inappropriate for 2021 just like in in like he's gonna say something weird to, as as the character of neville um, and it end up it ends up that it ends up happening. And I what I like, I guess, from these movies is that we assume that these people are alone in in their world, and then it turns out that they're not. And I think that this movie really largely fails in that department, where once that secondary character comes in, happens to be a female character of color. And then her character almost has no bearing on this story. And it's just really there to be a love interest for Charlton Heston, which I said, it feels like an exploitation movie. And some of it, especially the sex stuff does feel that way. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not, it's weird that it's not an exploitation movie. That's a studio movie because that grittiness that you mentioned could have really helped this movie out a lot because a lot of it is too polished. Uh, it is to Hollywood. It is Charlton Heston. And, you know, he, people, you know, want to see him towed again. And that's what he does in this movie. And I think it's an interesting choice. That being said, I think maybe this, I, I, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't tailor made for Heston, but the vampires in this movie can die by gunfire. <laughs> you don't have to stake them. You don't have to um, do much. You can use a gun and they're dead. It seems. Yeah, uh, a lot to to go into there with uh, Rosalind Cash, her character be basically just being a foil to Charlton Heston and having no bearing on the plot. What What's really most egregious about that is that she is kind of introduced, she's introduced saving him and immediately like seems like she's going to be a, a real to, like take charge character. And yeah. she gets sidelined for much of it, leading to something I'm still not sure about where suddenly at the end, after she's been out shopping all day, like in a, like the blink of an eye, she's infected and not just slowly infected. Like we've seen the infection works slowly on everybody else. Like, um, uh, Richie, the kid. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's 
devolving slowly, she gets it immediately and she is fully infected. And it, it is only there to kind of like propel Charlton Heston's actions in the end of the movie. Yes. You know, he's the white man with a gun who's going to come in and fix everything. And I don't know if that's exactly how it would have been intended in the 70s, but it's hard to ignore now, particularly in, in regards to his later politics. And this is a, a big digression from that. From that, mm. what what the hell does the disease do in this movie? <laughs> well, I was re- I was looking up IMDb, but it referred to them not really as vampires, but as uh, mutant albi- al- albinos. Pretty much, yeah. It, it <laughs> makes them albino. Yeah, it, it they cannot see in the light. They have to wear those heavy sunglasses mm-hmm. unless yeah. it's night, and even at night they wear them. Yes, and they have and sores. They have like open sores on their yeah. face. Yeah, I yeah, and, and yet yeah. I don't know what because they they seem to create to keep a lot of their personality. Uh, some of them do. Yes, Matthias, who Matthias. is a character I'm really goddamn confused about. Um, Anthony Zerbe, great character actor, a ton of TV work. He was in the Dead Zone, the movie. Um, I, I, he's an actor who, who's you've seen him in a lot of things probably if you grew up in this area. I don't understand his character, but he seems completely in control of his senses. He just is kind of a maniacal cult leader. And instead of like a plague of vampires or zombies, it appears to only be this one group, this family, this cult that he has to deal with. And Matthias and the family. Yeah, I wasn't sure <laughs> what I wasn't sure what happened yeah. to them because some of them they they can they can use tools, clearly. They can have regular discussions. They they seem like normal people just a little bit zealous yeah and then when when lisa suddenly becomes infected she is immediately a member of the family she is like just like i'm gonna go join them oh this is so great just kill uh, robert morgan or neville like i don't understand what the 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 virus does i will agree on that point because i think i as much as i was enjoying the movie i was really let down by the direction that they took with matthias and the family, which I think is a great band name, uh, just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, because I felt like, oh man, like I, like I didn't really remember the movie that well, and I was like, I, like I remember the family, but I thought they were like, oh, you know, this is early seventies. Maybe they will go there. Maybe they, you know, because they, they are. And in this movie, I think, I think I am Legend. The movie is the furthest from the book, from what I know about the book. But I think Omega Man may not be as close as last man on earth, but I feel like there are a lot of things that, that kind of are in last man and, 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 and also from like certain things. I mean, obviously the way that the vampires are portrayed is different, but there, I feel like it is almost trying to hint at what the book uh, reveals with the big twist in a different, more 1970s relevant way. And then it doesn't, it almost seems like it's portraying uh, (laughs) Charlton Heston as actually the bad guy who's just going around shooting stuff and who is really the only human around. And there's this family who is against all the things that made the world the way it is. And the movie sort of like, I feel like one of the things I do like is that Heston sort of represents this capitalistic materialism that when they go to his place, they like destroy all his stuff. Like that's all they do. They they, they just break everything. It's, and it's all his things. And these people want to 
live in a new world. It is time to reset. There aren't a lot of them left. And it's like the old way didn't work, but there's this talk of like, uh, we want to get back to the way things were, which in going back to what I said in uh, Last Man on Earth, that is something that's very relevant now when the pandemic's are like, when are we going back to normal? And as you know, the months went by, you start to realize maybe we don't want to go back to normal. Maybe this is time to reset and start anew, but we'd like to go back to what we know because it's comforting. And I think that that's where the movie fails the most because it's going in that direction where you think it's saying this really cool kind of socialistic anti-capitalist idea, but then it, 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 it muddles it by one, the family kills Richie. Why did they do that? It didn't seem like they were the type of people to do that. It actually seemed like they had compassion and understanding that there was a plight that they were suffering from because of Neville going around hunting them down during the day. And it just felt like it was going in that way. And then uh, Lisa is just like, when she, when, when Neville tells Lisa that the Richie's gone because you know we sacrificed to the family, she's just like it had to be done, and that's when it's like, well, what happened to her common sense and rationality? All of a sudden, just goes away when she turned, which doesn't make any sense because it seems like Matthias and some of the other characters know what know what the hell they're talking about. They have theories and ideas on how a society should work and function. Yeah, and it, I, I feel like that's the biggest letdown for me, at least for a Mega Man. Yeah, it's odd. Plus, I'm wondering, because we find the other group of survivors that Lisa is with. And one thing I do like is where she says, where he's like, it's been three years. Why haven't I haven't I? Why have I not seen you? Why haven't you said anything? You know where I am. Why didn't you? And they say, like, well, we got the family roaming around there and you shooting everything that moves. Why would we come into the city? Why are yeah. you still in the city? Yeah, I'm curious about that group of survivors where it's it's Lisa and Dutch and then a bunch of kids. And I think Lisa talks about how she was with the family for a while until she realized that like, she didn't really like what they were going to, they were going for. Like they're, yeah. they're like, let's get rid of everything old kind of attitude. Um, and she, <laughs> she took off. So I'm like, I, I was curious about that too, where it's like, well, yeah, why did they kill? Uh, why did they kill Richie? Because they they, they clearly didn't have any issue with him. They, they didn't have any conflict with, anybody like are they just actually killing and destroying everybody which we haven't really seen up till then up till then it seemed like it's it's just robert that they wanted to get rid of oh yeah he's just going around you know gunning people down and 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 in that scene where richie goes to warn uh matthias and the family i mean he must have felt i mean he is a kid but he must have felt safe enough that he felt like he could go and talk to them and there's nothing in that scene that really spelled danger for Richie. And the only thing that I felt was an uneasiness because I thought maybe something will happen. And if that does happen, it's going to make me mad because the way the story is going, the way that this is written, it shouldn't go in that direction. It's just not the way that everything else prior up leading to that point, it just doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. So I felt like if the, if it does that, it's really going to ruin at least the, you know, the, the, the last like 
the, the third act of the movie, which it kind of did to a certain extent, because while I'm watching, I'm like, oh, wow, there's actually like a, like a message kind of hidden in there. And maybe this is about how, you know, this one white guy doesn't want to change and the world around him is changing. And that felt relevant to me at the time, at least post, uh, you know, summer of love and all that stuff. And, it just felt like maybe it'll go there and it doesn't. And it, the movie hints at it so much throughout it where, you know, he's driving a nice fancy car through the city. He it, like, this is his world. He owns it. He, he has kind of built it from whatever was left. And then there's, you know, this thing that is getting in the way. And then the fact that there's like people of color in the family and that it, it felt so different and multicultural. it felt like it was going there. And then it just does not. And then it just becomes the sort of like toothless uh, exploitation movie that, you know, that we've had throughout the, re throughout the rest of the film. It's just, you know, now he, uh, Neville has a gun and he's going to take out the family. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, I don't know what I was expecting. I was hoping there's so many glimmers of hope in this movie. It's like, Oh, it's actually going to go there because man, Neville is just like, I feel like, and especially in this movie in particular, his cleansing, at least of the vampires, is pretty aggressive. I think he's the most aggressive. And that might have to be with the fact that it's Charlton Heston. Uh, but it like he really like he's like he has to wipe him out. There is no other solution. Yeah, and it, it does seem like it's only this one group that that doesn't yes, seem like yeah. like it's all survivors. It just seems like like of of all of them, this is the one that seemed like well, maybe yeah. the rest of the world is is better, <laughs> or because be, yeah. it didn't seem like it was just like the city was crawling with the family or with the infected. It actually felt like once you get past that opening in the downtown district, it, it does feel like a very claustrophobic Los Angeles. Yeah. Like they're all driving down the same streets. It, it's like, un, it's not safe to go anywhere because the family is like, you're, of course you're going to run into the family. It's an entire city. What is the, what are the chances you're going to go out? Like if, if there's a group of a couple of dozen vampires in downtown Los Angeles, and I am also in downtown Los Angeles and I go walking around and they're in their area, the chances of us running into each other in that it, it are so slim. Like, yeah, and, and, and yet also, they're always doing that. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. Uh, this movie is, is supposed to be L.A. In contrast to I Am Legend, where he's on a closed-off Manhattan Island, where they show us that they blow up the bridges, or at least one of the bridges, he's in L.A. You can get anywhere from L.A. You don't have to... It seem, Like you said, the city does seem claustrophobic, especially if there's vampire vampires roaming around. I don't know, drive to the valley or, you know, somewhere like where it's... Or somewhere that's maybe less populated where, you know, people died and turned into vampires. It just seems like staying in the city, especially if it's L.A., that the easiest solution would have been to just drive away. <laughs> I mean, there's no real traffic. You can, you know, get anywhere Uh you know, by the time the sun sets. Yeah, and especially when they go and see uh, the other group, the um, the other group of survivors with Dutch and Lisa, and they're all they're out in the hills. They have a what seems like a really good setup. Yeah, um, clearly he doesn't have his lab, and he says he he just he's never going to leave his house. But you're right. Like I I this one I don't understand why he doesn't go anywhere because um, yeah. it, it does seem like he has some personal vendetta against Matthias. And that's what I'm saying I don't understand about Matthias is we get all these scenes in the early beginning in the flashback, uh, flashbacks of Matthias on TV. And he looks like he's just a, 
a newscaster, like an anchor. <laughs> yeah. And then he becomes this messiah, messianic cult leader after he's infected. And I don't understand why he's also the newscaster in the beginning, unless there's something I missed about about what he was. <laughs> like, I just yeah. didn't, it, it seemed like such a weird choice. Maybe they just were like, oh, let's give something for Anthony Zerby to do without the makeup on. Maybe I misremembered, but I, I'm looking at it now on my notes uh, where I, I earlier during our when we were talking about Last Night on Earth, I mentioned the the pandemic and, you know, the world, uh, the characters, the human characters in the world wanting it to be normal, but not the vampires. I think I got it from this movie. I don't know how much of that was actually in Last Night on Earth, but I'm looking at the note now and I think that's where I got I got it from this one. Well, the Last Man on Earth, the survivors are not really given any attention we we don't really we see them come in at the end right before vincent price is, is yeah. shot and he escapes to the church but uh we we only see anything from uh ruth in that film we don't actually see what the survivors yes, are true, doing. yeah and and uh, i do like the, the the vampires are like articulating can you know assemble and you know be diplomatic about things uh and it's some of them it doesn't seem like all of them some of them still kind of groan like words and phrases throughout the movie, like you hear it in the background. Um, but I, I, I like it in this movie. And I think it's an idea that could have been developed more and better. It, they're like dressed kind of like druids and like these rags. And then like they have these really nice like sunglasses that are like flawless and there's no scratches. I think that's just to protect them from light, their skin. Right. Maybe, or it's just to, it's just to make them look spooky on screen. That's true, yeah. We got to talk about the ending of this movie where where Robert has cured Richie of... He's, he's, Richie is one of the survivors and he's getting sick. And when we see him, he's becoming an albino and his eyes are, have the weird contact lenses in. Robert gives him a transfusion of his own blood. He makes a serum of his own blood and it cures Richie. And there's all this talk like, oh, eventually you're going to be, you know, once you get a bit healthier and... Uh, gain a bit more weight we can use you use your blood to make a serum and like they're going to just basically cure everybody that way um the end of the movie he's kind of made a serum and he gets killed and he falls into this mountain and the survivors find him and they get the serum from him and they go off and they're gonna you know try and like rebuild i guess and then heston dies and of course he dies like jesus and his life-saving, world-changing blood is filling a pool around him, and he is in the crucifixion pose. And it, it's such like <laughs> that's why I think this is kind of like a star series. Yeah. Like these movies are always kind of like fit to what their stars want their their uh, image to be. And of course, yeah. Charlton Heston, like reading behind the between the lines of the production, it sounds like that was Charlton Heston's idea to die like that because it's not in the script. And that, that they kept it in. And there, it does kind of fit because there's more religious iconography earlier in the film. And of course, Heston is Moses, right? He's he's mm -hmm. known for his biblical epic, pers uh, of course, his persona at the time. But it's just like, man, like it, it's such a, a vain way to end this movie. Yeah, he it, and it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the arms outspread. It was also even his legs were in like the same position that you see like images of like christ on the cross it's just like wow like he's in like this fountain like he's, like he's in this fountain bleeding out <laughs> and it's like oh my god and that's the final shot of the movie <laughs> it, what keeps any of these versions of the movie 
from really embracing the ending of the book is a combination of they kind of get scared like they're like oh we can't we can't kill our hero as the villain but also like it it certainly doesn't seem like anything Charlton Heston would allow in this movie <laughs> and it oh, certainly yeah. doesn't seem like anything that Will Smith would have allowed at that point or the people in charge of like the decisions around his movies yeah. would have allowed at the time um not I mean not that he wouldn't have had the choice I'm just saying like the decisions were probably made like well you can't make Will Smith this irredeemable in the movie we have to you know give him a hero's ending yeah it's a shame because this is such a a thematically rich book and honestly you, you were talking about which one you think is more accurate I think well obviously by far last man on earth is the most accurate I think I am legend is more accurate than this oh interesting um, up until the third act I am legend is pretty good. Like it, it changes things to be more like kind of Hollywood and, and yeah. its focus is a bit different, but I think it, um, I think it, it, it's kind of close. It takes it. It's at least enough of its own thing too, that yeah. I'm able to kind of like accept it. But this one, this one is so, is so different. And yeah. this is the only one I don't think Richard Matheson did any work on. I think he did help with the writing of the script for um, I am legend. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, this movie definitely is definitely dated. <laughs> Very unapologetic 70s movie. I don't really care for a lot of Charlton Heston's ideas and politics, but I like his devil may care kind of sarcastic energy, which is kind of like his thing uh, throughout this movie. Um, like he just, like, you know, constantly talking to himself. And, and I think that dialogue is a lot better than the dialogue in I Am Legend where he's talking to himself. There's a lot of stuff. It's like, we don't need that. But I just like like the kind of throwaway lines in Omega Man, like another day, another dollar, just stuff like that. That doesn't make any sense. Like there's no money in this world, <laughs> another day, another dollar. But it's so funny. And it, it's just, it's like, eh, that's peak Heston. <laughs> I, do, I do like in this version, how kind of um, blase he is about all the yeah. dead people around him. Like <laughs> yeah. when he goes in and he, he's, he's fixing up that car to buy like he, mm -hmm. he needs to replace his car and he looks over and he sees the uh, somebody at the desk like a, a skeleton basically a dead body <laughs> and he starts talking to it like what did he give me for this ah you cheap <laughs> son of a bitch like yeah like, where he's, he's still talking to him and there's a scene later where he's chasing after lisa and he he steps on a body <laughs> like there's a i mean not a not a real person pretending to be dead but like a yeah a desiccated corpse on the ground and he's running after and there's just a quick insert shot where he steps on it as he's going by and it's like, I do like those touches where, especially during his, his drive through LA, where we get the shots from above or we get the shots from inside and there are all the dead. Uh, yeah. Like that's a, that's a good touch. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a sucker for this type of movie. I just, this, this one, I was like, maybe it was because I thought it was so good the last time I saw it and I was yeah, I watching it. it. I'm yeah. like, this is so like, so cheesy in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah, I definitely doesn't want. I, I definitely wasn't thinking much about the movie when I first saw it. It was like I wasn't like, especially this type of movie. I was just kind of like, oh, this is gonna be fun. But now, like, really thinking about its flaws and where it could have gone, it, it, it. I still really like it. <laughs> I think it's cool, but it, it it brings it down because I feel like it is sort of lacking, uh, in that department and in, in like the. I don't know. This, I guess the story and the the characterization. Anyone who isn't Charlton Heston suffers in this movie. 
in not just vi in violent terms, but also as far as story goes. I do want to say about Charlton Heston's politics, which I, I think were pretty, I mean, I, I disagree with most of them by the end, but he seemed like kind of like a, like an old school Republican in a way in that like, there is the fact that he, he had a pretty early on screen interracial kiss in this movie, that he did have a character that was in, you know, in part inspired by the black power movement, right? Oh, right. Yeah. He, he, he obviously didn't write the movie. He didn't direct the movie, but he's the big name in it. He would have had enough, enough power in that time to like have veto power or to say like, this is a good idea or not. Clearly he did some inform some of the writing for this movie. So there is a, an idea to the fact that the, like, I'm not saying he was some progressive ideal, but I don't want to paint him as just like an all around, like awful yeah. human being. I think just by the yeah. end of his life, he, he got really into some pretty awful politics. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was interesting. Maybe he was just kind of like uh, testing the waters with the time, but it was pretty bold. Because, he, he, I mean, we talk about like, oh, you, things sort of change around this time and things are more progressive, which is not really fully true. But um, I think having this and seeing it, like, he's just like, it's Charlton Heston, one of the most you know, American conservative patriotic people that we know and uh, personalities that we know. And then um, he's playing opposite a uh, woman of color and, and in a sort of love interest capacity. Uh, and I, I actually kind of did like that. I, I like that it wasn't, the whole movie wasn't just, you know, a bunch of white people. It was, you know, it was kind of, for the time, it was a little different. I mean, I forget his name, but there's the other vampire, the, the other one that's with Matthias. He's kind of his right-hand guy. and uh, Zachary? Yeah, Zachary. And he, he play. it seems like he plays, he, he plays or could have played a bigger, a big role uh, as far as that goes, because it seems like he does have a place within the family. And also, I really, I actually really like Rick, uh, Richie's character. I wish there was more of him. Uh, I, I don't know. There's something like kind of endearing about him and the way he spoke that I really like. I thought that was quite, I wish there was more, more of him. He's so innocent. And <laughs> he was a, he, he a likable little kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I liked him a lot. On Wikipedia, I mean, you know, how lazy is my research? <laughs> in one way. But in Heston's uh, autobiography, uh, talking about the, especially the love scene with uh, Rosalind Cash, saying that um, she was a little nervous. Like she, he called it a little edgy, but she kind of was like weirded out by doing the love scene. <laughs> and uh, he says in his autobiography that, quote, it was in the 70s that I realized a generation of actors had grown up who saw me in terms of the iconic roles they remembered from their childhoods. It's a spooky feeling, she told me, to screw Moses. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it, I mean, the age difference in this movie. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Did you? Oh, get yeah, he's so much older, too. He looked old. <laughs> he did. I. Yeah. He looked like, he looked like my my grandpa. <laughs> yeah, like there was, was like points where he would like grimace or something. Like, whoa, there are the wrinkles. And and um, what's her name? Uh, Rosalind Cash is way younger than him. And it's interesting because, um, like, so 1971. Uh, isn't isn't Ten Commandments from 1954? Trying to find Ten Commandments 56. 56. Yeah. No. So. He was, he was almost 50 at the time, oh, wow. but there's he something about, <laughs> there is something about like, like 50 
in the seventies is not what 50 looks like now. Yeah. I mean, like Tom Cruise is the same age as he was in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely not a Tom Cruise. <laughs> did you, did you get a look at, at Charlton Heston's awful, awful stunt double whenever they were riding the motorcycle? Oh yeah. It, yeah. It was so bad. It was like, so obvious. I guess, I think it's always weird when they use a stunt double and the shot is like a straight on shot. Like, try to hide it. People are going to see this on the big screen. It's going to be more obvious. Maybe at home, not not so much. But, like, it happens a lot in Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. It's like, yeah, where you see it, like, especially, like, in Terminator 2. But, yeah, it was so obvious in this one, too. Do you have anything more that you want to say about Omega Man? Or would you think we're maybe done with that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty much it. It's kind of like a weird movie for me that it's, it's it, I like a lot of it, but there's also things that could could have been done better and differently and yeah it's 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 a it, i think it's a it's a cool fun movie to watch and i don't know I, 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 i'd like to hear other people's opinions on this one i don't i, I know someone uh that really likes it and and you were kind of on the fence about it, i think or didn't like it as much oh, as i i don't like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah and i'm kind of like oh, i guess i'm the one that's on the fence where i like it but i don't like it i will say I like the approach of this movie. I think this movie could be really fun. This could be just like a really fun, like punchy exploitation action movie, B movie. But there's something about it that it's such, I'm assuming a big budget movie. I couldn't find any information about the budget on it, but it's produced by Warner Brothers and it's got a name star in it. Mm -hmm. And, but there's something, it, it just looks so cheap and it's so kind of like haphazardly or haphazardly put together at times that I think a movie that was a bit cheaper that was just allowed it to get a little bit grittier and tougher, a little bit rougher around the edges would have been like super cool or even, or maybe just were like polish it a little bit more. It would have been cool, but there's somewhere in the middle ground for me that I was just like, I was not enjoying this movie and I'm disappointed to say that. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually very surprised. I thought you would really like this. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe in another 20 years, I'll watch it again and I'll be like, ah, oh, <laughs> there we go um this is has no bearing on anything in the movie itself but mm-hmm. boris seagal who directed this i i was just looking him up on i was just reading about him he died in 1989 during the filming of another tv miniseries called world war three and <laughs> this is horrible yeah but he died in a helicopter accident or not in an accident but he he died exiting a helicopter he turned the wrong way and walked into the tail rotor. Oh my God. That's awful. That's so, Oh my God. That's so terrible, right? Yeah, that Uh. is awful. But speaking of which you just remind me of a note that I totally miss when you asked me if I had anything else in and it relates to a helicopter crash because there is one in the Omega man. Mm, Uh, And in most movies, a helicopter crash means certain death, but not in this movie. I think it's, it happens to Charlton Heston, but the helicopter crashes and he like crawls out of the helicopter. Like nothing happened. Well, it, it looked like he got thrown out of it because he, he, oh, when okay, it cuts okay. to him, he's, yeah. he's a few feet away. And I was going to say, I was surprised at the amount of blood on him. Not, mm-hmm. not because I think it, it was an unrealistic amount. If anything, it probably could have used more. But because I just, I wasn't expecting to see him that dirty and his clothes are torn up. And he's got blood on, all over any exposed bit of skin except for his face and i i was surprised most that he had blood on his face which for some reason i was like i was surprised that 
Charlton Heston allowed them to dirty up his face that much. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but yeah, he survives because <laughs> he's he's traveling with the experimental batch of the vaccine. Yeah, and he's just like he's he was in the crash and he was like starting to get get sick when it happened, and so he injected himself. Yeah. Also, I when when I was watching the movie and 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 Heston is like shooting at the vampires and they're getting gunned down and it's it's not grotesquely bloody but there is blood i remember thinking oh i, I guess this was r-rated I, and then i checked on imdb and it's rated pg and there's uh nudity in the movie as well i mean the camera is kind of far but you can tell and because she's like sitting on the bed and you can tell that you know she's topless yeah she is naked the camera kind of cuts away it is framed in a way to try and kind of like minimize yeah but she's naked you see nipple and mm-hmm. it, it it made me think like, well, why, if they're trying to avoid it, is she naked in the scene? Why not just have a bra on her or like whatever they have to use, like tape. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be visible on camera. It seemed really kind of, I, it, it made me feel bad for her. Or maybe she would have been fine with it that she just like had yeah. to be naked on set when you're not actually meant to be seeing her naked. Like, why is she there just for the crew members? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like, and also this, the, the, that scene was after they had sex. They don't show the sex scene. It like, you know, cuts away and it's, it's over. They're just in yeah. bed. And there's a scene where she goes shopping later, right before she turns, where she's like trying on different clothes. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was weird. Like, I, it, I was just like, well, first of all, yeah, because they don't say, they curse a little bit, but they stay away from like the quote unquote hard words. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it did make me think like, oh, they're trying to be kind of like PG or whatever with this. And then you see her naked, and I'm like, oh, yeah. is this R? It's 1971. 71, so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. in yeah. the 80s, they were still having nudity in PG movies. So, Yeah, I wonder if it would, would that give it an R, just those nude scenes? Because if, if it didn't have that, I think even, because I, I see a little bit of blood in PG-13 now, I think that's kind of permissible as long as it's not graphic or gratuitous. But, like, I know, like, Titanic is, like, PG-13, but like the context of that, the nudity in that is is one. It's so b- brief, and 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 just the context of it is different. Where like in this, it's kind of more exploitative. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's definitely now with your uh, helicopter story about the director, the tragic story uh, in that. I didn't even think about the helicopter crash in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Like, holy cow, that's... Yeah, when you said, I was like, that's crazy. There's a, actually one in this movie. Yeah. Man, that's nuts. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for Omega Man. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with the final, so far, adaptation of I Am Legend with I Am Legend. Dr. Robert Neville. 2012. I am broadcasting on all AM frequencies. I'm a survivor living in New York City. If anyone is out there, please, you are not alone. I am legend. This time, Hollywood waited a quarter of a century to attempt another adaptation of I Am Legend. This 2007 version, starring Will Smith, finally retains the name of the original novel, and yet still manages to excise any of the reasons for the title. Again, much of the general story is the same, so we can just kind of jump right into our thoughts here. Um, I saw this on video in 2008, like it pretty quickly came out, it was a new release. And I remember hating it, actually. 
I remember really not liking it. And I think it's mostly because of that ending. I, I had hoped that we'd finally get a true adaptation. Like they're keeping the title. So maybe they'll keep the reason it is called that. And then the movie kind of completely cops out at the end. And then the DVD at the time, it has an alternate ending. Um, I know you were saying you were going to watch it again. I don't know if you did watch it. I remember hoping that alternate ending would be more uh, more accurate to the book. And I, I, I felt it was worse. <laughs> it was farther away. <laughs> Not to, you know, show my hand too soon. I know I've just come in <laughs> here. I don't, I, I, I will say I liked it a lot more. And we'll get into the reasons why on this second viewing. But how about you? What's your, uh, what are your thoughts on the film? Well, I remember... I remember actually liking the movie when it came out. I saw it uh, when when it when it came out in DVD, and I I I think I even bought it at the time. And I wasn't really getting all the hate for the movie. And like the only thing I understood, the only thing I agreed on was that the the special effects were bad, um, and they still are, but. I always felt like it was a fine movie, but as time went by, I think people's opinion of that movie sort of uh, became my opinion too, because I have a talk trash about I Am Legend uh, for a while now. Um, and But now watch rewatching it uh, again for the second time, only second time. I bought this movie, didn't even bother to watch it again. Um, I think I, under I understand my feelings better. I like a lot of the movie and there's things here or there that I don't like. And then there's the ending, which I really don't like. <laughs> uh, but up to that point, I think uh, I enjoy mo most of that movie. I think it's actually pretty solid. Um, but I think that I am less hard. I will probably be less harsh about this movie uh, than I thought I was going to be. Uh, but uh, there's still there are still flaws and there's things in this movie that I absolutely do not like. Yeah, I'm gonna ag agree with that. I put this one off. I was not looking forward to revisiting this. Uh, we decided to do this, and I thought, oh, it's it's great. We're gonna we're gonna talk about all three versions. And then I was like thinking about actually having to watch this movie again and talk about it. I'm like, that's <laughs> not gonna be fun if if I just have to sit there and like talk about how much I don't like this movie yeah and, and then I watched it and I was like hey you know this isn't that bad I I like a lot of it there's a lot of it that I think well maybe not a lot but there are parts of it that I love and I I thought it was much better than I was giving it credit for in 2008 uh, but while still having quite a few of the flaws and you mentioned the special effects and yeah they're really rough like that CGI especially the uh, the composite shots of Will Smith when he, when he's like jumping out of his truck and you're supposed to see the New York City, like the sunset between the, the rows of the streets. Um, it, it doesn't look real. Like he's not blended very well into the background. Yeah. The CG animals, I think, look really rough. Um, I, I don't quite like the look of the dark seekers, uh, the vampires in this. Although, yeah, they're, they're called hemocytes in the script and the subtitles because they were called that all the way through reduction. They just, I guess, changed it before release. Um, yeah, weird. I, I get why they did it. They, they said they did tests with real people and it just didn't look very good. But I, I think you could have found a way to make it look good, especially when you compare this to the very similar uh, 28 Days Later, which was pretty recent at the time. Like, oh, 
yeah definitely those are all real actors and you could have made yeah. the and they're terrifying in that movie super yeah super scary uh what's uh danny houston looks terrifying in that movie and he looks ter terrifying already as a you know regular person <laughs> uh yeah so so I, I i watched it and i was a bit disappointed but paradoxically i was less disappointed than i think it would have been in 2008 yeah. because now in 2021 we're all just so used to how bad cgi looks after a few years that i was just <laughs> like yeah that that's what that's what that's like that that's what i expect it, it's <clears throat> it's a bummer but i like it didn't bother me as much as i think it bothered me at the time even though it, it's super noticeable yeah, it's super noticeable, but also I think that we're kind of lucky that in the movie itself, we actually, uh, Dark Seekers, right? That's what they're called? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. We don't, they, they actually, they're not in a lot of the movie. They're a pretty, you don't actually see them uh, as often as maybe some in, some in Last Man on Earth or Omega Man. They're, it's it's, it's kind of, brief uh, at least it it's to me like when i remember the movie it just felt like they were all over the place but they're not even the first time that we hear them we only hear them and we don't even see them till much later so i i it's i think it was easier this time around to just kind of like okay i can let this go i mean it doesn't look great but there's you know a lot of stuff that i actually do like that has bad cg but you know you just kind of gloss it over and i think i was able to do that this time around where it's like yeah i get it it looks bad but you know it is what it is i can't <laughs> like what am i like i can't i can't hold that against the movie and just you know throw away the entire movie because of that that that's a really uh a really a, a strength with this version is how little we see them and whether that was just to to cover up the cgi or they didn't think that they they got the look right or was the plan all along? I think it's really cool that you only see them a few times. The The first time we see them, when Sam, the dog, runs into the building after the deer and he comes across that nest and they're just standing there. They're not responding to anything. Um, <gasps> like he just comes across the, and they're in a circle and they're kind of shivering. That's yeah. really, really creepy. <laughs> it was. They, yeah. they, they do chase after him, but it seems like they're just kind of like, hypnotized or or mm -hmm. like kind of a, almost catatonic uh but it, it you don't see him a lot then and then there's the scene where he catches one where he's almost caught and then the end there's just a couple of brief scenes with them yes yeah and and i i do like that i it, it makes it more about his loneliness which is pretty much what the book is is going after as well yeah. and um and you know his day-to-day -day process, what he, how he stays alive, how he keeps himself busy. I actually, I, I found a lot of that stuff like really, even though it was mundane and it wasn't very exciting. I was kind of like into it. I there were, I think there was a, a uh, the director uh, Francis Lawrence did a, a pretty good job in in kind of establishing this loneliness for the character but also you know he has this backstory where he you know this thing happens and he loses everything uh and everyone around him and and, and now he has to cope with that in isolation and alone there's you know no one that he can talk to and and and, and sharing this and and on top of that he's afraid at night of these things by himself with his dog. And, you know, he talks to his dog often, but 
obviously the dog is not going to respond back and that, that that's his, his his only companion throughout all this and it's i i think that the the scares kind of in the movie itself kind of come so far apart uh that when they when when there are scenes that 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 do feature uh fear or or something tense that might happen. They're actually really effective. There were a few moments like the one you mentioned when they're standing in the circle. That whole uh, that whole scene was really good. Like I was on the edge of my seat. Like I was like, what? Something's gonna happen. I don't remember what it is, but something's gonna happen and it's gonna be terrifying. And And I felt like there was a good, those scenes really worked well and were effective. And this is why I'm, I'm saying that I think people should rewatch I Am Legend and, and, and maybe reconsider and be less harsh because there are things in this movie that actually are good and work. Yeah, I agree. What I, I'll tell you, I, I love this, the style of post-apocalyptic movie that this is yeah. in the first hour or so. I, I love seeing people, I love like, kind of the post-apocalyptic era where where um where nature is starting to reclaim everything yeah I, I like the silence and the loneliness and i like watching characters um, like kind of if not rebuild like how they could live how how they right. have created a new life for themselves yeah. and it, it's it's something that i i do just love and this movie does it well i i like that this movie allows itself to get very quiet in the beginning mm-hmm. there's there's a long long periods of time with no dialogue he's not even doing his his little quips which he does every once in a while just to keep himself <laughs> entertained yeah where where it just it's silence and we just hear birds singing and like it's kind of peaceful in a way but you know it's surrounded by just this decay i, I love the touch with the the like the quarantine like like almost like they're being fumigated the buildings just have cloth over them oh yeah yeah that yeah that was cool i i agree i love the look of the the movie and that kind of urban sprawl being taken over by nature and it reminded me a lot of uh the last of us the the the, the video game mm, there were like yeah. moments where i like oh that's like reminds me of like because i think they're in pittsburgh in that game like a lot of the urban stuff uh with you know stuff just growing everywhere, uh, destroyed buildings and all that stuff, ab- abandoned homes. Um, and I, I just thought that was really cool because I really liked the movie. And I remember that's something that I always remember that the look of the movie, the production design, all of that is actually really good. And to to what you were saying about the, the peacefulness, I think that's why those 10 scenes really work because, you know, after the the, the opening of the movie, we start, it's very calming for a really long time. And Will Smith, uh, the actor is a very kind of comforting, calm feeling. Like you, when you see him, you don't feel anxious. You, you feel, uh, you know, well, only good things can happen when he's yeah. around. And, and then, you know, he sets that up and Will Smith is being Will Smith in this movie. You know, he's doing his quips. He's talking to mannequins. He's, you know, going through his day, talking to his dog. And then night comes. And, and, and this is where we get like this change in, in that character where we realize how much he fears these things, how alone he is. And like, it just, that change when that happens, when, when it goes from day to night, it just, it's so jarring. And I, I kind of like that, you know, Will Smith is like, you know, he, he's a star and 
I, I do think that Will Smith uh, has outside of his, you know, comedic talent and, 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 and personality. I think he actually is a pretty good actor. And I think it was, you know, this is a, one of those great choices where you take a star who's also good at acting and then you get this kind of performance is actually pretty solid and and and, and he's kind of doing both. I will admit there are some lines that don't work, but I don't think that's him. I think that's just a script. Um, but I think he's really good in this movie and and, and watching him uh, just do his thing and this was cool. Yeah, because he we know Will Smith as he's always he like quippy he you know he always yeah. has, mm-hmm. has a comeback he's always yeah he's quick on his feet he yeah you know he always says the right thing he yeah this is a version of that but much more subdued and a little bit more desperate because he's he's not been around people for three years and he's setting up mannequins that he just like coincidentally yeah. runs into out on the street yeah. or flirts with at the video store it, it, it's what Charlton Heston did in the Omega Man, but Charlton Heston kind of felt a little bit ironic about it. Like he he felt like a little bit sarcastic. Like he, yeah. he was just kind of like like joking to to them. And in this, it's like it's clear in his performance, he is just desperate to recreate some sort of human interaction. It's why he's always got the Today Show airing. Like he's got just tapes that he plays like in the background, yeah. so it just sounds like a, like there's human voices. It sounds like a normal morning. Yeah, it, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I have to say, though, I, I wanted to mention this, but the opening of the movie uh, features Emma Thompson. And it's the only time she's in the movie. And she's uh, she's explaining, uh, you know, it's kind of like the explanation of what's going on and and what leads to 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 the to, you know, to the end of humanity. But she gives this analogy about a car. And then says, if you give the car to a cop, then, you know, obviously they're not going to do anything wrong with it. And I thought that that was the worst analogy I have ever heard about <laughs> anything. It made zero sense. And it was just dumb. Like, it's like, especially now in 2021, it's like, that. okay, like, you can't just like assume that cops do good. Like, we, we've, we've realized that they don't. Um but I just I just had to mention and it sucks that it's Emma Thompson because I love Emma Thompson. I think she's a great actress. Yeah. And I forgot she was in this. And then she's like just that analogy was so terrible. And that's when I thought, oh no, this movie is not as you know, this movie is bad. It 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 does that cool after that that moment, it cuts away and it just does that uh uh jump cut to three years later. I, I, I thought they did like a montage like they did in the Dawn of the Dead remake where they show you what's like what leads to the apocalypse, but they don't. They just cut straight away. And we do see what happens later in flashbacks. But I think it works that way, actually, like the cross cutting between that kind of it builds that substory because not a lot is really happening with Will Smith in New York three years later. But the 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 bad opening actually leads to like great and another movie where it opens with him driving his car much like uh charlton heston and omega man and and you know it's not immediate in last man on earth but that's another key thing in there i, I like that they all have like a vehicle that kind of is associated with them in, in 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 each movie which makes sense i mean like for them to get around quickly well first of all before i go that i want to jump back and say emma thompson uncredited in this movie just that that one little bit um, I think there might be a scene later where we see a little bit of a news footage of her, but I, can't, oh, okay. I might be wrong about that. I, I really might. I, it might have just been the one scene. I love that cut. I love that jump to three years yeah. later. It, it, it's 
that's the moment when watching this, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this movie is better than I remember. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's such a, it's such a really great moment to just like, yeah, to end it with like, we've cured cancer to three years later and you just see <laughs> New York is falling apart. Nature is yep. overtaking. <laughs> it, it's it's uh, one of the tunnel. I don't know New York geography, but it's like the Brooklyn yeah. tunnel. Is that? Maybe, maybe the not, Lincoln tunnel. I don't know. Lincoln if tunnel. Yeah. yeah, like it's a Lincoln Tunnel or something, and it's completely flooded, and you see it's jam packed with cars. Yeah, which is another thing that I love seeing in movies. I like seeing <laughs> submerged yeah. cities. I don't know why. I like we're yeah, going to that, be seeing that's... a lot of them in our future, but like, <laughs> in movies, I still yeah. I, I still love it. Yeah, and in, in in the Last of Us game, there's the, there's like a part where you go into the city, and and a lot of it is submerged, and I love like playing through those levels just like swimming to like the buildings and you can't you know you can't access certain parts of it i don't know why i like that i can't even swim and i, I like really enjoy that in in movies and video games yeah i <laughs> i even liked it in water world <laughs> like i know i know yeah water world is is a notorious flop but as a kid yeah. like well as a kid what that came out when i was that was early 90s right like 95 90... i thought oh 95 oh okay so I would have been 17, I think. Hold hey, on, man. I gotta look this up. Still a kid, <laughs> right at the yeah, cusp. 95. So when I was, a kid, when yeah. I was 17, I, I, I kind of liked Waterworld. I realized a lot of it yeah. was cheesy, but I liked that setup. I liked, you know, mm -hmm. when they go underwater and there's just the building. Oh, oh, what I meant to say, you, you mentioned his car. He's driving in this and he's driving like a, a sports car in the beginning, right? Or like a yeah. Dodge, you know, it's a, I think it's a Ford or something. I don't know cars, but it, it's like a... Yeah, I can't remember it either. <laughs> it, it's like a fancy car or, a, or uh -huh. like kind of a flashy, fast yeah. car. Mm -hmm. What happened to that? Because we see oh, him yeah. driving and hunting, <laughs> uh -huh. and then he notices it's getting late, and he like they run off, and the next we see him is arriving home, and he's in that SUV. Yeah. And I guess I guess he could have parked the SUV somewhere and said, I'm going <laughs> to drive in this today. Doesn't... Yeah, doesn't... A, Charlton Heston do the same thing in Omega Man where he's driving like we see the car in the opening but then he switches cars like well he, he crashes because he's about to run into a, a truck like there's like oh, a, yeah. that armored car that some people <laughs> were trying to steal from and they when yeah. they died and he right. he almost hits it and just decides to go buy another one buy, yeah that's true because later yeah because later on he has that more like post-apocalyptic practical vehicle <laughs> uh, to to ride around and you know carry his stuff or like yeah because in the beginning he's just like you know driving the fast car and it looks yeah it's cool and then you see the deer and i mean and, and that's the first glimpse of the I, I will say that that yeah like it's not worse than the 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 the, the dark seekers but it's it's like you gotta go like it seems a little off like you can tell it's cg it's like that's you know that's not real deer yeah it looks it looks okay yeah yeah and also going back to something you mentioned uh was it omega man maybe it was last man on earth about there being no like life as as in like wildlife this one i am legend features a lot of that in new york we see uh what is it a lion yeah, lion family. Yeah. yeah, and then we see, you know, the deer, and it's just, I mean, I, I'm imagining they're from, you know, from the zoo, but uh, I was just kind of surprised to see those, you know, three years after all this happened. I, I, I thought maybe it mentioned it, so I'm going to mm -hmm. 
look it up, but I don't think it does. I, I, I get why like deer would come back. Lots of wildlife will come back immediately when, if people are gone, like, um, I mean, especially here in, in LA, you just go out at night and you, you'll see, uh, you'll see coyotes. Yeah. You'll see deer if you're far enough away from like an inner city area. Uh, certainly raccoons and rabbits are just everywhere. That, oh, yeah. that stuff is just waiting for us to leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get, I get that they would be there. My, curiosity though is dogs can be infected clearly what what animals can be infected and what can't because he's not hiding from any other infected animals or i guess he wouldn't need to in the daytime the deer and the lions are fine i guess but not dogs yeah that's true you would you would think that there would be a lot more roving feral dogs and cats in the daytime yeah and 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 new york has like a huge rat problem well, yeah, he certainly got a bunch of them in his basement. Yeah, and like, I wonder why. Yeah, because they mentioned the dogs. They show the dogs as, uh, you know, vampire dogs, and but there's no mention of it affecting other species outside of that. And and there's no sign of it in the movie itself at all. We see the the animals, and it's just during the day. I just looked up I Am Legend fandom, and I'm not going to read everything. Uh, so I don't know entirely the context of this, but it says deers and lions are the known animals that are immune to this virus. <laughs> so Very convenient. That, that's something that, that clearly they didn't think of before they made the movie. That's just people that like the movie making it make sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it must be the only way. <laughs> I just watched this movie, but tell me, tell me, yeah. like, um, does this movie explain why he hasn't died? Like why he hasn't gotten sick? I don't think so. I'm going to Google this too. <laughs> uh, I mean, that kind of shows what kind of movie this is. If you have to Google specifics about the movie. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, wait, didn't he, isn't he immune because he was, he was working on the actual, didn't, isn't he injecting himself with some kind of, Oh, I, I don't I don't remember a scene where he did that, but he was working on because there's yeah. that when in the first scene when he's waking up in the morning, he opens the fridge and we get a glimpse of like Time magazine and the, the headline is like, is he our savior kind of thing? Yeah. So he, he was working on it. And obviously that's why he stayed while the, his wife and daughter um, got into that doomed helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. I can't find any any reason why like. I guess we can assume that he injected himself because if he's alive, of course, well, we do know that other people are alive later in the movie that yeah. uh, Alice Braga and um, the kid, and they do find that, uh, that safe zone later on. So he, he, pro I guess <laughs> he isn't the last man on earth. Clearly he just kind of thinks he is because he hasn't seen anybody for three years, but yeah. Which is something we talked about when we were talking about was it Last Man on Earth? We were talking about how <laughs> if if you travel uh, further out, you, you you might find some people. And 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 the plan of uh, Anna was to travel up to Vermont because she heard you know that there was a camp there. Yeah, I think that's that's something I I think of every time I watch any of these movies. Yeah, um, we talked about it in all of all, I, I think both discussions because it just felt mm -hmm. like especially in like Omega Man, it's like, well, this only, it's only this one small group of vampires. Why are you staying here to fight them? Why don't you just go somewhere else? And in Last Man on Earth, it, it did kind of feel like 
like maybe it's i mean no i think last man on earth makes it more clear that it's the entire world because he, he's reading newspapers about how it's spreading across europe and stuff that's true yeah i think it's the only one um i i, I do find it interesting that like that idea keeps like popping up of whether you know uh, in all three movies one of the similarities is that we assume or at least think that they're the last person on earth and it turns out that they're not in every case and there's always more people around so <laughs> i think like the idea of being the last man on earth is kind of vain in itself and then it, the, here comes this like harsh reality it's like there's actually other people here too it's not just you you know if you kind of venture outside your comfort zone you might find a society which kind of begs the question like are these people looking for an escape from society do they not want to even bother to try to find other people because it seems like the only people they care about are the people that were well at least in i am legend i don't know about the other two are the people that they were close with so it's just kind of like, are, are these people just loners by yeah. nature, I guess? And, and and they decided this and like, why would I venture out to Vermont to try to find a camp that may or may not be there? I think in Last Man on Earth and Omega Man, it, it's never said that they're looking for anybody else. They both right. seem to just assume they're the last. I am legend though. He is doing that thing where he's he's broadcasting a message throughout the day and he he goes and sits at that one area that he tells people to come meet him yeah the, um, the bridge yeah yeah which it's really weird because he goes and sits there and works at a desk but he has his back turned to the road coming up to him like you don't know if the survivors are going to be friendly yeah. <laughs> like, have yourself turned so you can see people coming at least um yeah <laughs> i i do think there is a little bit in this movie well I, i'm gonna rank it in Omega Man, most of all, I Am Legend next, and Last Man on Earth least, there is a little bit of wish fulfillment in the way that the apocalypse is presented. Yeah. That you're the last person on Earth, and you've got these, these dangerous people at night, but you can kind of give yourself shelter. You can surround yourself by things that you're entertained in. I think in, in Omega Man, it doesn't really seem like Charlton Heston is having that bad of a time. He seems like he's having a ball. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. He is having the most fun out of all three of these guys. And he's toting around a gun and shooting <laughs> anything that moves. And he's yeah. got, you know, music. And he just like has stuff that he's he's stolen from museums and filled his, yeah. his, his apartment with every luxury that you could think of. Um, well, I'm, I'm starting to see why Heston wanted to do this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I am legend. He's got a routine like. Yeah, he works it, out, too. Yeah. And he he goes to a video store. He's working through yeah. every single movie at the video store in yeah. alphabetical order. I like um, that. <laughs> and so and, you know, it, it it I wouldn't say it's. It's a pleasant life. He's clearly lonely and desperate and haunted, but there is something about it that's just like appealing yeah. to, to people to think like, Oh man, I'd finally have, well, what's that twilight zone where it's like, I'd have time enough at last. I can watch yeah. every movie. I, want. I, yeah. I can, I'm living in an area that still has electricity and. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. You can still watch TV and watch movies, listen to music. I think last man on earth is the one where he's having the least amount of fun. <laughs> yes, definitely. He's clearly just miserable the entire time. And it's not, not enjoyable in any so anyway in this there are glimpses of glimpses of like well then maybe that wouldn't be that bad 
Yeah, a lot of the the stuff for Last Man on Earth, it seems like work for for him. It's just like I gotta, you know, change the mirrors, change the garlic, uh, you know, burn these bodies. It just sounds like it's just like it's just work all day and then barely get any sleep at night. Yeah, that's a joyless routine. Uh, yeah, the way, the way he and it's also the one where he's it makes the biggest point of showing how methodically he's going from building to building clearing people out clearing yeah. out the the nests where i think there's like really only one scene of charlton heston doing that and it, they mention that he's looking for the family but you only see like one one bit or one montage of him going and looking anywhere oh yeah that's true yeah and i am legend he he doesn't seem to be hunting them down at all except when he needs like a guinea pig in the lab that he goes and sets a trap but he yeah. doesn't oh hey okay this is i'm Another question, because I might be an idiot. He keeps, it, it repeatedly shows him <laughs> spraying uh -huh. water down or liquid down, like on his steps. And he does it when he, um, when he is setting the trap for the one dark seeker. What is that? Oh, yeah. I, I, at first I, <laughs> I was like, that's, that has to be like gasoline or something. I was like, he's spraying it. I was wondering the same thing. I, I have no idea either. Cause it, it I, I was thinking, <laughs> wait, it, is it supposed to be holy water? But the movie itself doesn't feature oh, yeah. any of the vampire of mythology, right? Yeah. No, yeah, not at all. No. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's right. They don't look, I don't know, like they're, even their look is like very different from your traditional vampire lore. Like it just, they seem more like monsters than anything. Like they've fully transformed into something else that's not even human. Um, the I what was I going to say about that? There was there's something else. Well, actually, uh, did you want to talk about the ending? We we can do that really quickly. I want to answer with a question I just asked because I looked it up. It was people are saying in several different forums it was most likely vinegar to eliminate the scent of him and Sam. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes the most sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's true because they 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 don't they don't find him at all until until the end, because, well, yeah, I guess the segues into the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yeah, like he 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 gets caught in the trap, and right, is that what happens? He gets mm. caught in the trap, and that's when he meets Anna. Um, After that, is rescued. No, by Anna. he. Well, he gets caught in the trap and he barely makes it out alive, but okay. Sam yeah. is bitten and t starts to turn. So he has yeah. to kill Sam. And then he goes out again. And oh, this is when he's going on that rampage. He's just like pissed off and yeah, just killing every single vampire, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The only reason they find him is because uh, she doesn't know like the, the routine that he has. And it's it's not even till later that that they, he asks like what time they, they got in when when you know she drove drove them and 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 then that's when everything goes to hell. All the vampires uh, rush uh, the the place and and they're trying to get in. And we think that all these things that he set up to to defend himself against these vampires are going to work. They end up not working, and they recede further and further into the building. And what I like about that, and I, I I'm pretty sure it's not related, but there's. It, in Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead, there's the argument between uh, the main character. Is, is it Ben? Is that the, uh, the main no, character's name? Yeah, yeah. And 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 the guy who's in the basement. Like, which one is safer, the basement or you know 
the, the ground floor. And I think this movie proves that neither is safe because as they receive that, they keep breaking through the house and they end up in his lab. And as we see, the, the, the glass that he has set up is not going to stop them either. And they, and they, they end up breaking through and okay. It's so weird that they chose to call this movie. I am legend because once that happens, that moment happens in the movie, you think that maybe here, here comes that moment where the title is explained and where uh, you get uh because it has that title, you think maybe they will do this reveal. But the whole problem with the movie is that the, the, the Dark Seekers are never presented as human at all. They're presented as monsters. You can't do that ending. So that, that throws that whole ending of the book out the window. And now it's open to just have any ending that you'd like because you've thrown that aspect about, the, the, the human aspect that gives meaning to the title of I Am Legend, which this movie... It takes the title, but takes just that, and that, and and, and it doesn't. It, it could have been called something else, and I think that's what bothers me is that this movie, the, you know, they the studio, the filmmakers, whomever, chose to take the title, use it, but then disregarded what that title means. It is just so weird to take the meaning of something and then not elaborate on that meaning, and then the way that they do it in the movie is like meaningless if you know how the book ends. And I'm wondering, do people who do not know anything about the book care about how the movie ends? Is, is that a satisfying ending? I can't imagine that ending being satisfying at all. Uh, even, even knowing what it's supposed to be in the book, the one that's in yeah. the movie, like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's it, I mean, it's I don't... such a leap in logic too. the way that they set it up. It's like, here comes the voiceover and it's like, that's it? Like, that's not an explanation. <laughs> yeah. D have you seen the alternate version? Uh, yeah, I kind of skimmed through it, like, right before. Uh, I, I I, saw most of it. Like, I, I got the gist of what that ending is. Yeah, it, um, it's... It, where... but it makes no sense. in the Because I'm saying they take away the human aspect, and then they add it in the alternate ending. And actually, I'm like, I, I'd rather have the theatrical one, because this one doesn't make sense at all. Where, yeah, the it, it kind of does an M. Night Shyamalan with the butterfly thing, where yeah. which it's already doing in the regular version with the butterfly and the plexiglass. Mm -hmm. But it, it's the one, the one alpha is basically leading everybody just because he wants to get the one female back. And the female uh, um, dark seeker has the butterfly tattoo on her neck, which in the theatrical version is on Anna's neck. So it, I mean, no, it's, it's kind of weird. I don't like the other ending either. Where Yeah, it's not good. I, I just don't understand why they can't do it. And in this one, especially, it did just feel like, no, we've got to make, like, Will Smith is the star. He's way too likable for this type of thing, which needs him yeah. to be unlikable. I don't know. It. I think it would have worked with him. I, I, but it, it just drives me crazy. They never try for it. Yeah, and they just kind of went for the typical Hollywood like ending where he sacrifices himself and and hands Anna the his uh, his I guess is it a, like a vial of blood right his blood yeah it's the yeah. the female dark seeker's blood right because, yeah, yeah. He, because he's been trying to cure her and it seems yeah, to have been cure. working yeah. um and yeah and it's just i mean it's the typical ending and it's it just it because it, it, the i think it's more maddening because the movie was pretty good 
and then you know the ending just feels very half-assed it's just like all right let's you know it's <laughs> let's wrap it up we got 10 minutes and you know this is the best that they came up with and it's just yeah the ending is so disappointing other than that there's a pretty good movie in there yeah and, and it's unfortunate that that alternate ending is not good either because <laughs> you can't even imagine uh i am legend that's actually good within like really like an actual good somewhat slightly flawed movie with a good ending there's just there there isn't this version that they got to in the end i guess warner brothers had been working on this since the mid 90s doing a remake Ooh. and a bunch of different people were attached to it um michael douglas tom cruise a bunch of different directors. Um, Will Smith's first choice as director was Guillermo del Toro, but del Toro decided to do Hellboy 2 instead. Oh, man. And I think a del Toro version of this, <laughs> man, that would have been so good. I, yeah. I don't think Francis Lawrence <laughs> does a terrible job with this. I think he does yeah. fine work. It's, it, it um, like we've already stated our problems with it, I think. But the one that seemed to get the most traction, the one that almost got made in the late nineties was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ridley Scott. And <laughs> you kind of, you kind of imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger doing this and it would be, it would be more Omega man than anything else. But what I was reading about it, it seemed like the version with him was going to be even more psychological and like more about the loneliness than this movie even ended up being that um, wow, really? the studio ba balked at it mainly because Come Ridley on. Scott's past few films had films had bombed, but they were, <sighs> yeah, they were worried about the lack of action in the movie. And they kept bringing on different screenwriters to try and put more action in it because um, Ridley Scott hired John Logan, uh, who did Penny Dreadful, wrote all of that. They yeah. hired John Logan or he hired John Logan to rewrite it and they, it didn't have any action in it. And so Warner Brothers like, we've got to get, make this an action movie now i i mean ridley scott doing this type of movie i i i think he's just got the you know that that style that like that visual style that would work really great with this type of empty New oh York. definitely yeah definitely uh i yeah i would have liked to see that that version of, the, of this movie to give him credit it was francis lawrence's idea to to move this movie to new york instead of la Mm -hmm. that's good damn good he call. had to really argue with it it cost like uh, several million more dollars in the budget warner brothers didn't want to do it but his argument was like la looks uh, deserted if you if you find yeah. it at the right time of day it looks yeah. empty already it's not going to be as impressive to see all those empty streets because we you think of la and uh, with you know empty streets but if anybody anybody goes driving downtown la you know that sometimes you'll just turn a corner and it'll be like blocks of nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, empty. you won't <laughs> yep. see a person. Uh, so I, I get what he's saying about that. And I think the move to New York was a good idea. What I wonder, cause that that's a lot of money for a studio to just like give out, you know, to just any director. I, what had he had done by that point? Cause I like the first time I knew about Francis Lawrence wasn't until the hunger game movies. Oh, and then well, when I when I saw that he directed, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that, that this was him, too. I think the only movie that he had done before this was Constantine. Yeah, which uh, was not successful. It wasn't successful. I <laughs> yeah. kind of like it. I, I Oh, I, I like it, too. Yeah, it, it, it is not the book. <laughs> like it, It's kind definitely of like, not. <laughs> but I, I still think it's a fun movie. Um, I, yeah. But 
he was I a agree. very very successful music video director oh what did he do i'm, I'm trying to look because like i don't i don't recognize a lot of these but he did like yeah. janet jackson um jennifer lopez he did the jenny from the block video justin timberlake okay go <laughs> i didn't realize that was him um along this more set like yeah, yeah since uh, oh he's pretty prolific then he oh man a lot of big yeah time. well since 96 and he has as a director 86 credits and most of them are music videos wow i think he's only done a few movies and, and yeah. some tv shows wow but yeah That's it nice. is a lot of money for like yeah. maybe maybe they were just banking on him being like kind of the next david fincher or yeah well who's another music video guy um mark romanek maybe but he, yeah. he mark romanek never broke out either <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean I'm, I'm sure this movie was successful too right i mean oh yeah i think it yeah, was number, yeah. I, I i i don't always look up budget stuff but i did see it was in the top 10 of the year and it's still one of the oh, 100 yeah. most uh profitable movies or highest Indeed. grossing oh. movies really quickly one little detail i like mm -hmm. i'm sure you've seen the scene uh of Fred the mannequin turning his head when he's out on the street. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I, I did not notice when I watched it, but I was like <laughs> reading about it that he used. I, I read that he also used mimes in the video store. Not all the time, but like a couple uh -huh. of those mannequins are mimes. And I went back and I watched those scenes a couple of times and I'm like, I'm not buying it. I think they're all mannequins. Yeah. I think this is just people on the internet trying to, <laughs> trying to make stuff up unless maybe he says it on the commentary, but um it did it it was kind of cool i like that like a very subtle touch i, I do like that that just yeah like his mm -hmm. his mental faculties are slipping and he's starting to kind of like really see them as as people well yeah it may, i mean it makes sense like you, we're watching those scenes where he's interacting or talking to the mannequins at the video store and he's there's the one that he has his eyes on and it, it it's just it, it's kind of like it's cute but it's also kind of sad and it's like man this guy is desperate like there's he he has had to adapt and make a world of his own where he feels like there's a human connection and i i, I kind of like that that breakdown because when you watch it it's like oh that's you know that's cute but it, it it's really kind of sad like at the like it's i i felt so bad watching those scenes where because you know we the humans are a social creature and just being alone in new york and going through this is just it, it just seems like a lot and i i appreciate that the movie does go there especially the second time when he's he has that breakdown and he's like please talk to me please <sighs> yeah. talk to me which is heartbreaking but then like what if it did talk back to him <laughs> like what would his reaction be? <laughs> yeah uh i have to point out how yeah. weird it is that that woman is standing in the adult section and he's placed yeah. her there obviously yes this woman is standing in the adult section and the adult section is just out there in the middle of the store <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to go through any of those swinging saloon doors or anything or a creepy <laughs> back like room that. it's just right there yeah everything's out there nothing's even covered like <laughs> all the titles are just full on display Plus, what kind of shitty video store doesn't even have sections? It's just all alphabetical. Yeah, <laughs> one one alphabet for everything. Uh, did you, do you know what movie he rented in that the first time we see him in the video store when he leaves? Well, he's returning Goodfellas. What did he pick up? Good night and good luck. Oh, okay. Yeah, I recognize the back of the cover because I have the DVD. It was oh. like one of the first DVDs I bought and I hadn't seen the movie yet, but I ended up really liking it. And I was like, oh, it worked out. <laughs> same, same. I bought it. Yeah. I just don't, I'm not that familiar with the back cover. <laughs> yeah. 
it's Dave. What's his name? David Strathern. Is that how you say it? Strathern. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. He's on the back, like smoking a cigarette. That's like, yeah, I didn't look at it because I saw the Goodfellas when he opened that closet by his front door. And before I remembered the video scene, I was like, what kind of shitty product placement is this? (laughs) So lazy. Why would he have a copy of Goodfellas just in his weapons closet? (laughs) But then it turns out he's going to return some videotapes. I got to ask you like a a personal preference as well. Mm -hmm. Say you've been alone for three years. You, You, as far as you know, there is not another living person in the world. How would you feel watching a movie set in a world that is no longer existing? How would you feel watching Goodfellas? Even like, I'm like, try to think of the most lighthearted movie you can. I think even that would be like almost unbearably sad to watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would be even like Goodfellas is just like a crime epic, but there's so many like moments about like family and, and, and it's so funny. It would make you miss like your friends and family, you know, laughing with, with someone and, and just having a good time and, and, you know, being close to other people. I couldn't, yeah. Like I would have to start watching like abstract films in order to not like think of other people just so, so I won't feel sad. Like, like we did on, on my podcast when we watched dog star, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'd be watching in the post-apocalypse because it'd, be, it'd just be so hard. I just thought about that. I was like watching, I was like, man, would I want to sit and watch all of my movies if there's not another person in the world? And would I, would I want to read any of my books? Would I want to be in, I mean, we need art to survive. We need some sort of beauty and emotion in our world to be able to survive. But I couldn't imagine what my response to it would be in a world where I didn't think I was ever going to see people again. Can you imagine like wa- like going through the movies A through Z and you you get to not another teen movie and you just start crying because you miss people so much? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. That God, that'd be a good scene in this. <laughs> I just I I did think about it too because what really affects me me now in movies <laughs> is watching people just hanging out at a restaurant. Like, <laughs> just like like sitting at a restaurant and eating food off of the, their their you know their friend's plate without a care in the world without thinking about like oh I hope this person washed their hands before they brought me my drink just yeah. like just thinking about going to a restaurant and just lounging maskless in a in a booth for a while while surrounded by a bunch of other people I it, it just seems like it feels to me like something I'm never going to be able to do without like any thought in the back of my head about what's going on. This is can't like, I feel like there's just going to be like warning signals in the back of my head for the rest yeah, of my that, life. No. Yeah. I think that's going to happen to like anyone who lived through this pandemic and remembers it because I have that same like reaction when I see like crowds at a movie or like just, you know, a party scene or something. It's like, oh, everyone's like so close to each other. Like, it just like the moment I see it, I like tense up. It just, I have like this like physical reaction to what I'm like looking at because it's, you know, this this thing started and it kind of, I mean, it wasn't sudden, but I, I just kind of feel like maybe here in the US it was, it's kind of sudden because our government just kind of ignored it and just let it, you know, get out of hand. Uh, by not acting sooner but it's just so like it's been you don't think about it but it's been kind of you know traumatizing is a part of your life has been like taken away you can't be social you can't touch other people you you know you can't give a handshake or you know hug someone and yeah it's 
it, it, I definitely have noticed that in movies where it, uh, I start to think of like the real world, even if it's not connected, <laughs> I find a way to connect it. Yeah, I, 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 I do <laughs> yeah. too. I mentioned it in the, in the, uh, the last uh, Kaiju Takeover episode we did, the one with, uh, uh, with Rick. Um, when I went to go see Godzilla, I, you know, I had a blast at the movie theater, but I felt really anxious and nervous and it just felt weird going into a theater, even though like most of the rows around me were completely empty, just sitting there. And I just felt weird about it. And at the time, I mean, the, the restrictions that have been lifted now hadn't really been in effect then. So I, I also felt kind of like guilty too, like that I can come out and, you know, sit in a theater and have my popcorn without my mask it still felt kind of weird that i was having fun with you know other people around i think uh do you have anything more that you want to say i think we've and i am much yeah i don't know i mean it's 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 there's good parts there's you know bad parts in this movie um i think that everyone should revisit this movie if you haven't seen it if you've only seen it once if you haven't seen it in a while i think that there are things that are actually very enjoyable about this movie and, and kind of wish I would have seen it on the big screen because I think some of, especially some of the scarier scenes in the movie would have been really effective in the theater um, but other than that I, I mean that's it I, there's there's just so much in, in I Am Legend that you can kind of uh, pull apart uh, and but yeah I think it's worth a rewatch if I have any other take take away from this movie I think it's it's worth a rewatch what is it now? Fourteen years later, yeah. Since it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It, check it out again. You might actually enjoy it because I, I certainly did, and I was not looking forward to rewatching this one. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Would you say now, having watched all three of them, that Last Man on Earth is your favorite? Uh, yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's kind of in the order, in the you know chronological order of the movies. Really, I, mean, I see. I prefer this to omega man all right uh, i, I found, forgot that you, yeah <laughs> yeah i found omega man to be very unpleasant yeah. this time um i get it though i i do get it uh <laughs> i think it yeah i don't know i think it's it the changes it makes to the source material even though they're bigger in omega man they bother me less because omega man is just kind of doing its own thing <laughs> but um i i I agree. This isn't like a great movie. I certainly, I mean, if we're talking about terms of your show, this would not be a movie to see before you die. I think I enjoyed a lot more of it than I thought. And it, 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 I generally had a pleasant time watching it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Very, very but surprised. That's going to do it for our discussion of I Am Legend. All, well, all three versions. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to say goodbye and maybe make some recommendations. And we're back. And before we say goodbye for the week, I thought we'd just kind of talk about a couple of a um, couple other movies to watch, other recommendations. Particularly this week, I figured we'd talk about some post-apocalyptic movies, some of our favorite post-apocalyptic movies. And I guess I'm, I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to say uh, people should check out The Quiet Earth. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen this movie? No, but I, I, I've, I've heard of it and I've always wanted to see this. Yeah, because you were kind of going through, um, you were going through a, an Australian film phase, right? Yeah, I, I kind of 
I think I, I meant I thought to recommend this at the time, but yeah, The Quiet Earth, it's a Australian movie from the late 80s. It's more dramatic than anything else. It, a man wakes up and he finds himself basically alone in the world, finds a couple of other people along the way. And it, it's a really a beautiful film. It's in Australia. So of course that, that backdrop is great. Uh, it has a really, really cool ending. Like I just kind of like a mind, not mind blowing, but like the ending just kind of like triggered so many synapses in my brain where I was just like, Oh, that's really awesome. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would recommend this one. It's, it, it's, I think it has a cult and I, I, it's not very like extremely well-known, but I think there is a cult around this movie. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned an Australian movie because one of my top or favorite movies is also an Australian film. Uh, the road warrior. Yeah. Um, I love that movie so much. I watch it at least once or twice a year. Um, but I, I really like, and you can, you know, you can throw the, the, you can throw the whole series in there. The whole Mad Max series is so cool. Just centered the, around the idea of, of cars and, and, and gasoline. And I just really like that. I, I, that, that series is great, but specifically, specifically number two, um, I think it's a great movie. The action scenes and the stunt, uh, stuff in that is so great. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm going to mention one that, that, I honestly can't tell if it's really that great, but it was formative for me. I'm going to go with the miniseries version of The Stand. I know there's the new version of The Stand. I haven't watched yeah. it yet. Um, this was, when it came out, I, I recorded all four nights of it. I would watch <laughs> it a lot. Um, I Even at the time, I thought parts of it were kind of unfortunately cheap, poorly written, not the greatest acted at the time. I can't say it would. It's really going to hold up, but I think the stand is where my love of post-apocalyptic fiction came in, mm -hmm. um, because the first, well, what the parts of the stand that I remember really loving are the end of the first episode and the beginning and most of the second episode, where you're starting to follow people in a world where most people, where everybody has died, and. I, there was something I love about like when, when you're walking through the characters are walking through an overgrown field and in the distance is just like a, a dead body slumped over a, a tractor. And <laughs> there's something like, I mean, the walking dead, of course, it, it kind of continues this tradition. I don't think it's as successful or maybe it's more successful. It's just, I'm older and I'm more used to this trope, but the stand really did it for me in, in the yeah. early nineties. Nice. Um, my next one will be uh, my all-time favorite movie, uh, Children of Men. Um, I think that the thing that I like about, about the thing I like the most about this movie is that although it's set in the future, not a lot of it looks futuristic. It's very the visuals are things we've seen in, in the real world, either in the present of the time or uh, in the past through history books. The, the Alfonso Cuaron uses a lot of uh, historical, actual historical uh, inspiration for uh, setting up a lot of the production design in this movie, which I really like. And I just like that idea of uh, the infertility in humanity and inability to create human life and it's a slow kind of grind to the end. And we only get this glimpse of this one 
place in England and this one guy and his, uh, his mission to transport the only hope that humanity has in uh, a person of color, which I think is a, is a great touch. And um, it's just, I, I really love this movie. <laughs> it is my favorite movie of all time. And uh, yeah, Children of Men, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I mean, everyone else who's seen it, uh, that I know at least, uh, likes it. And yeah, Children of Men is great. No, Children of Men is great. I love Quaron's, uh one-shot takes, like just how he yeah. pivots the camera yeah. around. Like, I, I, I think I actually went like, wow, in the theater when I was watching it in that scene with the, um, the where, where they attack the car and the camera's yeah. just on a pivot inside the car and just mm-hmm. keeps going around in a circle. Like, that was so gorgeously choreographed and it's a trick he does all the time he's great at it but that movie is just phenomenal so i I guess my last one um there's a bunch i I kind of thought about was like i I thought about delicatessen i thought a bit about stalker tarkovsky's film i'm gonna be completely honest here and say that i don't quite understand all of that movie but (laughs) it's so gorgeous to look at and it's just so compelling to me but I, I still am like, I, I and yeah. got out of it. And I'm like, I'm not sure I get what he's going for. Um, <laughs> uh, much like you and Antonioni, uh, Tarkovsky is kind of a blind spot for me. I've only seen Ivan's childhood. Oh, man. I've only seen uh, Stalker <laughs> and Solaris. And I like yeah. both of them. Yeah. those. I mean, those are in the book, too, in, in the 1001 movies. Uh, I know I'm going to get to them eventually. And, and I'm really excited. It's just it just seems like something I have to sit down and really pay attention. Like I can't be distracted at all. I would, I would say that is probably true. <laughs> I think, I think stock, I, well, uh, from what I know of stalker yeah. and Solaris, uh, those are the only, it, those movies are, are also very uh, metaphorical. Like they're not, they're not movies that have really intricate plots. They're just, they're about something more than what you're seeing in the in, on screen yeah. or in the dialogue. And in the case of Stalker, I kind of didn't get it, all of it, but still loved it. Um, I, I'm talking a lot about it. That's not my choice. But <laughs> I, I was going to say my choice because I'm looking for that loneliness that I really love in a post-apocalyptic movie. Uh-huh. And I'm going to go with one I already mentioned earlier. I'm going to go with The World, The Flesh, and The Devil, mm-hmm. uh, which has um, Harry That's Belafonte. It. I'm trying to remember. It, it's... It's early 60s. Uh, oh, nope. 1959. Okay, so it's 1959. It's Harry Belafonte, Mel Ferrer, and um, the woman, I just had to look her up, I didn't, is, I believe, Inger Stevens. Basically, the world ends. Everybody dies. And in New York, there's only Harry Belafonte and this woman find themselves uh, like the only two people. And it's a, it's a white woman. Um, and they kind of start it's not even a romance it's pretty platonic but they're they're friends they're like living they're cohabitating um they're making their way in this world and kind of like rebuilding and then mel ferrer comes in as you know the the white guy and it introduces some more some different power dynamics now that race is an issue and it hadn't been up till this point and (laughs) it, it really surprised me i saw it on tcm years ago and never got to see it again and i just bought the blu-ray from the Warner Archive sale. So I'm really like looking forward to watching again. So maybe this yeah. is kind of qualified because I haven't seen it in a while, but I know its re- reputation supports my thought that it was a good movie. 
Yeah, so The World of Flesh and the Devil, there is a Blu-ray out there. It, it is a movie you can find. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, the, uh, other movie, it, it, the other movie I had, it's kind of, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. And then I, like fully, and then in between I've caught it on the Sci-Fi channel just in bits and pieces. But, and I think it's also time for me to revisit it. Uh, but uh, Reign of Fire, I don't know if you remember that movie. I saw that in theaters. I love that movie. Yeah, I remember like really liking that. Just the idea of like firefighters fighting not fires, but well, yeah, fires too. But you know, dragons. And I remember seeing that trailer. And and, and this has uh, was it Christian Bale? I think before he was big, right? I don't. Yeah, think it was done... like right around the time because I think yeah. it. it... It was right around the time of American Psycho. I think it was like the year after, maybe even yes. the same year. Yeah. Um, and uh, Matthew McConaughey, too. Um, and I thought it was cool then. Um, I don't know if it holds up, but from what I remember seeing bits and pieces on the sci-fi channel, I was pretty interested. And it's like, damn, I need to rewatch this. Like, I just really like that concept. That's like, you, that's a pretty unique concept. Like, you don't see that a lot when it comes to post-apocalyptic movies usually what what wipes out humanity is you know like zombies or uh some kind of illness it's something like that but it's dragons in this in, in this movie and i think that's really cool it, it's awesome it's so yeah. <laughs> like i it, it could have been so bad and maybe it will be because you're like you i haven't seen it in years but yeah. i remember at the time yeah it came out like two years after american psycho and i remember at the time really being excited for christian bale and leaving the movie thinking Matthew McConaughey like nailed that movie. I can't, I watched that, I watched that movie. I watched that movie and I think Matthew McConaughey believes he is fighting dragons. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) it it was, it was such a, like, it was such a great performance. He's, it really was. Yeah. I haven't seen it in years either. Now I'm, I'm going to have to go and pull it out. I don't know if I own it. I don't think I do. Yeah. I I gotta, yeah, I gotta find it too. Yeah. Now I'm excited. I didn't realize there was another soul that, that liked that movie. Yeah, uh, no, we we saw that theaters, and and that's I, crazy. Me and my me and my partner Amber both really yeah. liked that movie. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Do you uh, tell people about Dial F for Film and where where everybody can find it and what's going on with you? Uh, well, actually, coincidentally, uh, this episode is dropping the same uh, weekend that your episode, Aaron, is coming out. Crime, Crime Wave. Uh, where we talk about a pair, uh, a trio of 90s crime movies. Um, and then last week's episode was also a crime theme episode titled Crime and Punishment, where we talk about Elevator to the Gallows, which uh, is, spoiler, not on the list. And I made that mistake of adding it uh, into a list for that show, thinking it was. And I never checked it until right before recording that it wasn't on there. Uh, we also talk about uh, Pickpocket and The Last Seduction, but uh, coming up soon, real soon, uh, not sure when, maybe the end of May, I'm doing, I'm starting my uh, summer of Kubrick uh, series, which uh, I'm going to cover in chronological order uh, with different one movie per guest, one Kubrick movie per guest. Uh, and you will be back uh, on there as well to talk uh, about Barry Lyndon, Aaron, but I'm doing all the movies in the book. Uh, I'm going to go through that all summer. Um, and I'm excited for that because uh, Kubrick is my favorite director. And uh, I'm excited to go through those movies uh, on that list. But basically, if you're not even sure what I'm talking about, 
I'm trying to do the 1001 movies before you die, uh, 2017 edition. And, uh, I've done about 200 movies now from the book with different guests and Aaron's been on there a ton and it's always fun having him on there. And I always, I always, uh, I, I want to give Aaron the fun movies on that list, but I know that Aaron can handle Dog Star Man and Stalker and The Mirror and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's always nice to have you on there for that. But then I come over here and we talk about all these fun movies. So I think it kind of like evens out. You know how difficult it is for me to make up, make up my mind? Because you get these, these uh, you give guests the categories. <laughs> yeah. And the categories are kind of like cleverly named. And sometimes yeah. they give me an idea of what I'm going to get. And sometimes I'm like, well, shit, I guess I'm just throwing, like rolling a dice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I think I almost every episode I change my mind or I, I talk through my process of like, well, this sounds good, but so does this. Yeah. And if you ever are like, oh, Aaron should talk about this. And just think, like, give, just give me a, pa- a, a <laughs> just give me a topic sometime. I mean, I love picking, but if you're like, I hope Aaron oh, picks yeah, this one, sure, just yeah. give it to me. <laughs> so as for me, um, well, I, I just said, yeah, everybody check out Dial F for Film. Uh, it's a really fun show to do and to listen to uh, every week. I always look forward to it. always check to see if it's in my feed. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at at TwoHeadedPod. Also, that's our Gmail address. So at or not at, it's just two-headed pod at Gmail. I'm trying to keep it simple. Um, and Facebook. I've really been slipping in social media, but I'm trying to do better, guys. So <laughs> give us a follow. Um, as always, if you're enjoying it, like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that stuff. All of that stuff really does help. I appreciate it. Um, and other than that, I guess we will all just see you next week. We'll be back with a new pair of movies and a new guest host body. Thank you.